second and goal from the three. Play action, Rees, and the pass is in for the touchdown to Marcus Colston. So one of the few remaining... So Don is not here. He is caught up with a predetermined case of scurvy. Uh, we mentioned it last week. Don will be out today. I think uh, Mrs. Castor has Christmas concerts. Uh, she is a music teacher. So I think this week she's a music teacher, and she's a music teacher at like many schools. So I think most of the week uh, Don... Uh, is ballless and is following her around with the children uh, at the concerts and uh, watching them night after night. So be with Don uh, as he grinds out this, I'm sure, dreadful week. Um, Of course, Mrs. Castor's music is beautiful, uh, and I'm sure she inspires her students, uh, but I can't imagine their music is so beautiful you'd want to hear it five nights in a row. But... uh, that's Don. Uh, luckily, a friend of the show uh, kindly offered to help us so that instead of me droning on for minutes and minutes and minutes uh, to no one, which when that happens, I can't imagine anyone listens to it, uh, was nice enough uh, to join me. So let's welcome Adam Lazarus to the podcast. How you doing, Adam? I'm good. I always like to be on. Happy to be here. Yeah, uh, Adam has been on a lot. I'm almost getting sick of him. Uh, this fall and winter uh, to promote his awesome book, Hell to the Redskins, Gibbs, the Diesel, the Hogs, and the Glory Days of DC's Football Dynasty. Uh, and you can get that now wherever books are sold. Uh, Adam, when I was in the bookstore picking up a book for my grandmother, uh, I noticed your book and I said to the first lady of the show, hey, uh, this guy's hosting with us. Let's move his book to the front and put it in front of the George Bush book or something. I don't know. There was like a big display of this one book. So we moved it from the sports section and moved it to the front of Barnes & Noble in front of whatever giant display of book they had. So, Well, I appreciate that. Thank I'm, you very much. Yeah, I'm sure that copy was snatched up. And it's going to be yeah, well, under a tree yeah. next weekend. Uh, it makes a great. I would say it makes a great stocking stuffer. I don't think it fits in stocking. No, this but, is for uh, under the tree. It, under yeah. the tree, yeah. Yeah, tr- under the tree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Perfect for that. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, Adam. Uh, what's new with you? What's going uh, on in, in your world this week? I'm just uh, getting ready for. I'm, I'm out of my fantasy football playoffs. So yep, me as well. Back, so I'm getting yep. ready for the real playoffs. Yes, and we are going to uh, talk about that on the show today. Uh, it's season five, episode forty. Uh, we'll call it December sixteenth, two thousand fifteen. Jimmy Trena from Fox Sports will join us. Uh, Jimmy, like myself, is a huge Howard Stern fan, and of course, the king of all media announced on Tuesday he will be at SiriusXM for five more years. And when they're willing to pay you. 
an estimated $90 million a year for 114 uh, 4-ish hour shows, I imagine that's hard to turn down. Um, I don't know. You listen to Stern at all, Adam? No, I don't. I, mean, I don't really listen to uh, any of the morning shows. I listen to. I think I listened to Stern when I was in high school, when I was younger. Uh, no, I don't. But I'm, I, I saw that uh, report, and obviously, you know, his fans are as loyal as any radio fans are in the whole country. So, I mean, they've had money. You're talking about that's probably as well earned for for him as it is anyway. It's approximately seven hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars a show. That's bad. That's like uh, the comparison. That's like Seinfeld money. Yeah, that is uh, good work if you can get it, as they say. And we'll talk to Jimmy about uh, Howard. We'll talk to him also about the upcoming Mike and the Mad Dog reunion at Radio City Music Hall. Uh, and we will talk to him about Fox Sports and what is going on there with his work on The Buzzer. You can go to foxsports.com slash The Buzzer uh, to find Jimmy's work, and we will talk to him and also we get into a little bit of a discussion about podcasting and I laugh at him so hard when a guest is on that has a podcast and I ask them so what is difficult to you about podcasting and the first thing they always say is booking it and I have to laugh because if they only knew what hard what it meant to have it hard booking a podcast I mean geez he actually probably gets people People that ask him to be on it from time to time. Never once has anyone asked me to be on this show. So um, it is not easy to book, and we talk about that with Jimmy. Also on the show is a new guy, a first-timer, Ryan Aber. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners football and basketball for the Oklahoman and NewsOK.com, and we'll talk to him about the Sooners, uh, who are essentially in the top four in basketball and football right now. Um. So uh, we will talk to Ryan. Uh, Ryan and I connected over the internet, uh, Twitter, uh, this year and uh, bonded over a love of the Sooners and Pearl Jam. Unfortunately, we have no time for Pearl Jam today, but we'll probably talk to Ryan again and we'll get that in. Uh, We also have a book club update. We're going to end with one last thing. Uh, Adam will have a one last thing, uh, but we're going to uh, start the show now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm -hmm. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Alright, one of the best things about having Adam hosting today is he knows a hell of a lot more about the NFL than Don does. Uh, so we will start with some Don or some NFL stuff, and Adam, I was low there, huh? <laughs> Adam, I was so so disappointed with Lashawn McCoy this week. Um, I wanted to talk about this because I don't know what you thought as an outsider. Obviously, um, being not a Bills fan or from Buffalo, uh, I fall into one of those categories. Don falls into both. It'll be interesting to get his reaction uh, next week, but. Sean McCoy made a big deal all week about returning to Philadelphia and how his time ended there. Um, very much made it a part of the story. And then he supposedly kissed the logo 
um, before the game. I don't know what that's all about. It's kind of weird. Um, and then when they lost, he couldn't have got off the field quick enough. Uh, Joe Biscaglia uh, tweeted that he was the first one in the locker room, and he repeatedly slammed his helmet and dropped F-bombs. Um, then he stood in front of his locker for, I heard, eight or nine minutes uh, with the media bef- behind him uh, before walking away from them entirely. Uh, when, of course, as you know, he could have just immediately said no comment and they would have walked away, you know, eight minutes ago, uh, which the Buffalo media was none pleased with. Uh, and then there's just all the other strange stuff of was there this phone call or wasn't there and his comments about not wanting to shake Chip Kelly's hand. And, of course, he's the one who made the claims that Chip Kelly's a racist. Um, and if you're going to make those claims, you should probably then, uh, when asked about it, um, either take it back or, I don't know, say something other than what a great guy you think Chip Kelly is. It's just that you are not for him and vice versa. Uh, what did you think about McCoy uh, as an outsider? Am I, am I being too critical? Uh, am I taking the opportunity to pound on a bill here? Uh, and uh, Well, I think, I think I mean, everything's fun out with the Eagles this year. Has kind of gotten blown out of proportion, and it's more about emotion and disappointment than uh, than anything. So you have when you have Shady sort of being tangentially related to that because he was with the Eagles and he got traded and sort of sparked that whole, you know, the criticism of Chip Kelly and whether or not he's making the right personnel moves. Uh, I guess I'm not really surprised, but you know, uh, this is, I mean, this, this is how the NFL is these days. Uh, you know, it, it's all I, I hate to pile on too, but it's, it's all about me, me, me. Then when this when things don't go well, it's, it's a lot of uh, you know ducking out and wanting to talk about it. So I can understand the media's frustration with with McCoy from that perspective. Uh, but you know, the, the flip side is that. You know, you, I guess you have to give him, cut him a little flag, only because you know it really doesn't get much more emotional than that. Going back to playing, I guess the team that traded you, you know, that you spent your whole career with. So uh, I, you can't get you can't get too ruffled up about it. But um, you know, I, I, this is what happens in the NFL. You know, everything's everything's just blown out of proportion. Everything's all about. You know, when you have a week's worth of hype building up to one game to, you know, whatever it is, three hours or three and a half hours, this kind of stuff's going to happen. So uh, I'm sure you know, everybody will move on. Um, it would be better if Buffalo is more headed for the playoffs, so they're going to probably get shut out of the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, it was a little bit of an dedication for Philadelphia, I guess, to Chip Kelly to win that game and, and making McCoy look bad and, you know, seemingly making the right move, getting cut in the move. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's a fair take. I, there's a report that maybe McCoy didn't return to Buffalo with the team, uh, that he stayed in Philadelphia uh, to visit with people, or I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's up to Rex Ryan, in my opinion. If he's okay with it, I'm okay with it. Still, again, it seems kind of odd. A lot of this stuff just seems kind of odd. Um, and I'm a little disappointed with the guy, but not my problem. Uh, injuries, geez, they just... They just keep coming, keep coming. I mean, even since I I sent you some notes, and I mean, Thomas Rawls, or Rawls, I guess is a better pronunciation, such a mush mouth. Uh, he uh, is out for the year with a broken ankle and torn ligaments. 
so the Seahawks are down to running back number three. The Patriots lost two more guys, uh, Blunt uh, being one of them. So they're down uh, another running back as running backs are dropping like flies. Uh, let's see. It doesn't look like TJ Eldon is going to play this week. He's got a sprain. Uh, Jonathan Stewart. Boy, these are running back after running back, huh? Uh, he's got a foot. Uh, yeah, he's got a foot injury. They don't need him anyway, probably right now. So not a big deal. Maybe, maybe he plays if they did. Who knows? Um, Justin Houston could miss the rest of the season. Um, that's a blow to the Chiefs. Who I didn't even realize how hot the Chiefs are. They're one in five. They could end up. They could end up winning ten in a row this season. They had nobody left on the schedule. I don't think they have anybody really tough left on the schedule. So that, that would be amazing if they. Wow, that's a play. run. That's a hell of a run. Alex Smith yeah, is a guy we never give any credit to. Um, although I watched him, I mean, one of the most crushing losses uh, in my life as a Saints fan was because Alex Smith was able to drive the 49ers all the way down the field for a second time in, in the same quarter. Um, He's like a 40-yard touchdown run, didn't he? Yeah, that was the first time. And then the second the time, first. he made a pass to Vernon Davis. Um, sort of very similar, if you can picture the young to T.O. play with... Yeah, that was the catch three, they called it. Right? Yeah, not quite as big of a hit that T.O. took. Uh, right. And much much later. Um, it was a much easier but catch. They wish they still had, made, uh, but they wish they still had Alex Smith. Right now, yeah, we such an interesting. I mean, Harbaugh's not there anymore, and in a second, it doesn't seem like Kaepernick will be there anymore either. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty pretty good case. His career is over. In Texas, so. Yeah, Andrew Luck uh, not quite ready to be back. It doesn't seem like he's out this week. And Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton, that's right, his thumb. Uh, and kind of conflicting reports. I don't know what you've heard. They didn't need surgery. Uh, I listened to Stefania Bell talk about it, and I remember going through this last year with my brother when he uh, broke his leg and the idea of surgery and not surgery. And it was kind of a sigh of relief uh, that he wouldn't need it. But in the end, usually when you have surgery for a broken bone, it's just to set it to heal. Yeah. Of course, you don't have you know the cutting, and it's a little maybe a little bit more complicated. Uh, but really, you're just waiting out a bone, and it's just going to be a matter of how quickly it can heal. Uh, and and whether or not he can get back in, and certainly it's kind of changed the playoff picture a little bit. We have no idea what AJ McCarron is as an NFL quarterback. Really, um, it would be funny if for some reason uh, he has to play the first playoff game and they win it. Uh, and he well, gets... he is already <laughs> saying you know he, he made that Brady comparison, which uh, a lot of people had uh, you know had a hard time listening to with straight face. Right, um, but you know, I mean, you never know. You know, Jeff Hostetler did it. You know, he, he went in and took a team to the Super Bowl, and yeah, we know uh, that. I mean, yeah. Kaepernick, you know, took over for for Alex Smith to uh, took a team to the Super Bowl. Uh, so it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to be one and done again. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does shake things up. You know, I, I was thinking a month ago. Uh, maybe maybe six weeks ago, how we had I think Carolina, the, the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Bengals were all undefeated, and everybody looked and basically said the Panthers were the charlatan. You know, they were going to be the one that didn't make it. You know, didn't didn't do anything in the playoff hunt. You know, certainly weren't going to go undefeated. 
And now we look at it, and all those other teams, I think they all have at least two losses. So um, that's how quickly things I guess, can change in the NFL, and especially in the AFC. Yeah, and the Bengals and Broncos really. have three losses. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and the NFC teams, I think, you know, I don't think it's a gimme, but, you know, teams like it's Carolina and Arizona, that the rest of the teams have a lot of makeup work to do. But the AFC, I think it's, with all the injuries in New England, it's going to be hard for them to keep that, that offensive team moving throughout the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, you look at the way the board is set up right now, if the season weren't on today, I don't know how many changes we're going to see. I mean, obviously... Pretty much anyone could win the NFC East still. Uh, so I don't know if it'll be the Redskins as it would be now or if it will be the Eagles or the Giants. Probably not the Cowboys. Uh, and likely the Steelers will find a way, I think, to get one of those two spots. Um, I think the biggest challenge for them was going to be splitting last week's game and this week's game. And they've already at least done that. Uh, so I would think they get in. And again... Uh, we maybe don't know about the AFC South, um, but other than yeah, that, yeah, amazing. Jacksonville's gonna Jacksonville's actually in contention. Yeah, today. one game behind. Um, uh, not much going for them tiebreaker wise, but they're in it. So them, the Colts, and the Texans. Houston, the final week of the season, though, which is a big L. Imagine if that's the Sunday night game this year. Winner take all, Jacksonville Texans for the AFC South. Uh, get your popcorn ready for that one. Uh, we joked last week about the Saints' playoff odds were at point zero zero six seven uh, going into last week's play. It has improved. Um, it is above one percent now. Um, still very low. Uh, obviously, can't get there without a win out and a Vikings lose out. Uh, and then is still it higher than the than the Falcons or uh, no? They're only games behind the Falcons, huh? Yeah, it's you know, based... Falcons because that's where I, I'm down here in Atlanta. They started five and zero, I think. Yeah, five and zero. Oh, wow, it's wonderful. Now they're six and seven. So yeah, the best thing about a bad season uh, for a Saints fan this year is just the way the Falcons have hurt their fans. I think worse than the Saints hurt us. Realistically, you're going into the season with 25 or 27 new guys out of 53. For the Saints, and I'm looking at it saying, look, it, they're going to really struggle this first quarter, and they did, um, you know, starting 1-4, 0-3, 1-3, however you look, however you want to look at it. Uh, so I don't know that I'm really disappointed with where they stand. It's maybe one or two games less than I realistically expected. I think well, tell I, me this. What would you uh, – would you – be okay with them trading Sean Payton like they had those rumors and getting no what they get no but if no they no, could no get no. a first round pick for him no 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 I mean look it I have always said what I wanted out of this season more than anything was a reason for there to be no doubt that they have to bring Payton and Breeze back uh, because I still think that. Look at the defense went into the season 32 and was going to be 32 uh, for a while uh, this year regardless. But what was been nice is guys like Stefan Anthony and Kikaha and several of the other rookies on the team, Dalvin Bro, gotten to play and play and play and take their bumps um, and hopefully – 
next year. You know, Brandon Browner will be as far away from the team as possible. Uh, Keenan Lewis will be healthy again. You know, going into the season, if you asked me who the two most important Saints were, I would have told you Drew Brees and Keenan Lewis. And Keenan Lewis never got to even start a game this year. Uh, he played in four, but he was limited in those games even. So hopefully he'll be good to go next year. And I think that they could make a realistic run as a serious contender next year. Um, for what? I, I'm not sure. Certainly the playoffs. Um, and I would want to give Peyton and Breeze one more shot at that. One more shot in the tournament together. So I hope they do enough. And I hope that they can figure out the cap enough. Because unfortunately, uh, Junior Gallette put them in a really a no-win situation. That hurt an already hurting cap situation. But if you're asking my opinion, I'd like to keep them together for at least one more year. Uh, Adam's a huge Browns fan, um, uh, and obviously they won't be in the playoffs this year, so no need to even spend any time there. Um, another year of suffering for Adam and his Cleveland Browns. Uh, sorry about that, buddy. That you, would, that you would say something like that <laughs> that you know is not true. <laughs> say something like that. Uh, well, hey, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, number two, uh, Derrick Henry won the Heisman. Uh, Derrick Henry is a boring running back. Uh, and he is not even the best running back in his conference, clearly. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird that it came down that way because that's kind of the vibe I got from you know I I kind of felt the same way. A lot of people I I know talked you know it's the same thing that it, it was it was kind of a I guess you could say it was a safe pick, but it was I mean Fournette was so much more impressive throughout the bulk of the season. I thought McCaffrey should have gotten it. Right, uh, but I mean, you know how it is. First it's of all, narrative it's, driven. Anyone, it's a narrative driven well, award. Playing on the West Coast has a, has a huge disadvantage against yep. them to begin with, and the voting proved um, that. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think you know. I, it's like it's like so many of those things. Though, you know, I was chatting with a buddy of mine about about this. You know, that they put so much value in, in that all these awards, Hall of Fame balloting, and uh, and the Heisman and things like that, are all on the writers. For the most part, you know, Heisman gets the you know some some uh, you know former players get winners or right? former high players mm-hmm. get a vote, but you know, it's weird. I don't, I'm not sure. It's it's just a safe pick. You know, Alabama. Everybody think always thinks he's the best team, even though you know Clemson went undefeated. So we'll give it to the best player on the best team. They always they always have that year in and year out. They have that debate internally about best player on the best team or, or best player in the country. So I mean, I think I thought that was McCaffrey. You know, I thought he was their whole, you know, heart and soul. But um, so you know, you, what does it matter? Those, those Bama running backs have had such a uh, checkered history in the NFL lately. So I'm interested right. to see what what Henry's future in the NFL is like. Because you have Richardson, who was a huge bust, and Lacey, who had a great year, and then you know, it's kind of been he's been so up and down lately, and then. Ingram, who's finally had a good year. Yeah, he's had two now. Two yeah, the last two years yeah. he's been. Now, and I would have never believed it. I would have never believed it, yeah. Adam. The first uh, three years of his career, he put a finger on him, he fell down. Um, yeah, that's why I yeah. thought, I really thought, you know, it was, he was headed more for Trent Richardson's status than Eddie Lacy's status. Because yeah, but he's resurrected his he career. He finished in yeah. the middle. He finished in the middle. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, it, it was. This is kind of a. I, I'm, a, I'm more of an NFL guy anyway, but I thought this was kind of a lackluster season for college football. Yeah, he gave um, a great speech. The kid. I don't know if you heard any of it. Um, he really represented the university 
fantastically. Uh, so I don't mean to to pick on him. It's just it's weird when a guy wins the award and you just know there's a much more dynamic player uh, in the conference that just didn't have as good of a season. The team just didn't have as good of a season. And and then in the end, uh, a couple of his games weren't as great because the team around him uh, was so bad. And with a position like running back, when you can't throw it all, it's tough to tough to move when you're looking at 10 guys in the, up front every time. But, uh, yeah, I would have probably yeah. voted for – I would. I mean, I, maybe this is sort of bias, but I would have voted for one of the quarterbacks, whether it be Baker Mayfield or – uh, the, the kid from Clemson, but I would get. I, would, I would think it's a more important position. It's frustrating to watch in college football because anytime you have a dynasty, you you pretty much inevitably have you know multiple Heisman associated with that dynasty. I keep thinking of like at USC had Carson Palmer, Reggie Bush, and Matt Lyon at all. Like right, four year span. Um, the Miami quarterbacks in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Miami quarterbacks. Well, the Miami quarterbacks for a long time. You know, yeah. Ken Dorsey, even up to Ken Dorsey. So you, and then you get to this point where, you know, you clearly have a powerhouse program that just churns out amazing players at the same position. So when you're giving the Heisman to a guy who's running behind an NFL offensive line almost every year, and his, his the three guys before him have all been first-round draft picks or close to it, it's weird that you know you single him out as the best, such a great player when so many others have done such what he's done. But you know, then you can't really punish the guy either. So yeah, kind of high such a hard thing to put your finger on. He very much runs straight. Um, you know, he runs hard. I mean, I wouldn't want to get in front of him, but he's a boring running back. Uh, we have been following two fantastic streaks, and we were amazed when they outlasted our Thanksgiving break and we were amazed that they lasted another show past that. Uh, but today they are both done. The Warriors streak ends at 24. Um, they had got a really tough break from the schedule makers. They had to play a double overtime game in Boston and then go play the next night in a different time zone. Um, and they lost to Minnesota, I guess it was. Who ended their streak at Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. That's right. You're right. I get those two teams confused. Uh, same part of the country. Sort of the same colors. I always mix those two up. You're right. Milwaukee. Thank you. And uh, Patrick Kane's streak ended last night at 26. Uh, does end uh, as the longest streak in Blackhawks history. Uh, it's also the longest streak by any player who's currently in the league. And... Um, it's two games short of being the longest streak uh, by anyone who didn't wear number 66 or number 99. Uh, I don't know which one's more impressive. They're both pretty insane. Uh, and I think that in the end, you're looking at a team, the Warriors, who will move on now and take a run at the 70 wins that the Bulls had or whatever. And Patrick Kane, who will move on now and take a run at his first scoring title in his first hard trophy as MVP of the National Hockey League. So both of these guys or a guy and a team are destined for better things. And of course, uh, both are champions last year as well. Another thing in common. Uh, Patrick Kane won his uh, third Stanley Cup and the Warriors won their uh, first title with this group. So, wow. Unbelievable. What would you think of these runs? Any, any comments on Patrick Kane or the Warriors? 
Well, on the Warriors, I mean, you know, I, I watched that 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 series last year, and I watched the, the playoffs so intently. Uh, I, I grew up a, a Cavs fan, so you know, I was right. Yeah, Cavs and Browns, your two teams. Yep, yep. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I, not, not, not the Browns. Clarify. Just okay. Thing, Sorry, my bad. Okay. But uh, you know, that Warriors team for them, they were so impressive in the playoffs that I didn't think. You know, I kind of thought they were. I'm not, not a one-shot wonder, but I didn't see them going so hard into the next season and coming out and just blowing the doors off everybody. Yeah, you kind of uh, thought that that series man. changed when uh, Irving got hurt. You know, like yeah, that. Almost yeah, if that didn't happen, yeah, that maybe they yeah, didn't exactly. wouldn't even win it. You know, exactly. And yeah. then they their head coaches sidelined. He hasn't even coached a game yet. Technically, <laughs> right. he has um, a back so, injury. You know, all these things working against it. It's just, it's just it's Steph Curry is just such an anomaly. He's so. He, he, the way he's burst on the scene in the last, I don't know, 12 months or so, has become every bit the star that LeBron and Kobe have been the last five or eight years. Uh, remarkable. And, and yes, that's, I think the Bulls were 72 and 10 that one year. Yeah, it sounds uh, right. That they could do that. I think they were, you know, they're already ahead of that pace. And the West is, is tough, obviously. There's, there's a lot of good teams in the West, but. Yeah, they could get there, and but you know what? You wonder how much that takes takes out of the seat, takes out of the team, and going all the way to get six games in the finals last year to kind of hurt their run late in the season, late in May and June. But um, you know they, they are look unstoppable right now, which which is really is really something. I actually watched a lot of the Boston game, which was the night before the streak ended, and they played that game without two starters, and they looked gassed at the end. And I think it's probably good for them that this streak ended uh, because, you know, it was going to end anyway uh, at some point. And the scrutiny of something like being 23-0 and or 24-0 and uh, or even 12-0, and you know, probably started around then. Um, you know, it's good for them that, that, that to end. I remember a few seasons ago, the Sabres started 10-0 and uh, – you know, I really wish at times when I look back at that team and how good they are, they were, and it's kind of like, I wonder how that season would have been different maybe if they started 5-5. Five and Because five. Um, I felt like it took a lot out of them, uh, especially... Yeah, I mean, even if they, even if Golden uh, State had started 0-1 in the right. 24 games, that would have been... To be undefeated in December yeah. in the NBA is remarkable. Yeah. So now you live in Atlanta now. Um and I always thank you for going to the Falcons game and, and booing for me uh, every time they're home. And uh, obviously it's not a big hockey market. They've had two failed hockey teams there. And you grew up in Cleveland, which isn't one either, and I don't think you're a huge hockey fan regardless. Uh, where does something like Patrick Kane, like, does the idea that Patrick Kane would have recorded a point in 26 games, do you, can you, I don't want to ask this insultingly, but... Um, do you get us? Let's let's take it off of you for a second and put it in the people around you, which is really what I'm more curious about. Do you think the people of Atlanta have any idea such a remarkable thing happened in the National Hockey League? No, no. Okay, I don't think. I think uh, I thought you were going to talk about the Hawks for a second. Oh, um, and I was going to say, does Atlanta have a basketball team? Right, they don't know about know. them either. Uh, I mean, the Hawks. Atlanta's not a, uh, probably. Well, I doubt I'll get any like, one of my store, but. Atlanta is not a great sports town. It's I one mean, of the worst, right? At, it's, yeah, it's, 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 all they care about down here, first and foremost, is UGA football, which is fine. I mean, it's fine. But, you know, for the Braves have had their run of 
Uh, I remember in the embarrassing year they won the World support. Series, yeah, embarrassing they were, support. They didn't have you know kind of an empty stadium, and I think that's, I've been to Falcons games where it's been loud, and then I've been to Falcons games where it's not been loud. Uh, you know, I I think uh, yeah, I don't think things like that really catch the ra- get on the radar um, unless it's something transcendent, you know. And hockey in this country takes a lot more than a. a I, I would bet, I would wonder if kids in their you know young teenagers or eight ten year olds in places like Atlanta even knew who Wayne Gretzky was. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, well, twenty six games in. Just to put a little perspective on it, I mean, look at there's no one in the league right now who has had a longer streak. Uh, there's nobody in the history of the Blackhawks who's had a longer streak. And there's only a handful of players to ever have played the game who have a streak this long. And there's even less players uh, who've had a streak this long that aren't Gretzky or Lemieux. Uh, and Greg Wyshynski, who's a friend of ours, kind of picked on a famous uh, hockey writer for the USA Today who was the first one to write the story that said that the thesis was everything that Patrick Kane went through this summer makes this pretty nuts and there were some quotes in the article from his agent who said you know the biggest thing was uh, there were six weeks in the summer where Patrick didn't skate and living in Buffalo uh, and having a brother who played very serious hockey in Buffalo uh, and knowing the things that Patrick Kane has done his whole life uh, how much time he spends on the ice when he was a kid Adam I worked at Holiday Twin Rinks which is a just a local ice rink you know in Buffalo I worked there when I was in high school. And Patrick Kane was probably around 9, 10, 11 at this time. And you knew every time Patrick Kane walked into the rink. And it was often because he played on a bunch of teams. Like he played on the house league team and a travel team and another team, I think. I mean, this kid is has always been on the ice. And to think that he went six weeks without skating. Uh, might have been a blessing in disguise for him because he's another guy like LeBron, for example, who has played a lot of games the last few years compared to everyone else in his sport. You know, with the, with the Blackhawks having been on so many deep runs, and they won the Cup last year, and the year before that they went to the seventh game of conference final. Um, so it might have been a blessing in disguise for him to not skate those six weeks. I, I'd love to be able to talk to him about it. I don't know him. My brother knows him well, but I don't know him. Um, And we've talked, Don and I have talked about how we have avoided, like, the plague uh, discussing the Patrick Kane saga this year. Um, Where does it currently stand? uh, There's there's no charges. Are they still investigating? No. I don't want to just say he didn't do it, but he didn't do it. That's my opinion. I don't know if I've ever said it that flatly on the show, uh, but look at the DA would have gladly uh, brought forth charges. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you know this, some of the facts of the case, but you know they did a rape kit that night in the hospital. Uh, they got a perfect rape kit, and his DNA wasn't in it. Uh, and then there was the circus, which I don't know how much press this got nationally. Where then the next day after news came out that he wasn't part of the rape kit, supposedly the girl's mother said she came home to, in her door, a compromised bag 
that supposedly contained the rape kit. And the girl's lawyer came on TV and said, almost was making Patrick Kane out to be part of the mafia or something, that somehow he had infiltrated the hospital system to compromise the rape kit. And then the next day, the same lawyer had another press conference to say he was no longer representing the girl. Uh, because, as he said, uh, the story he was told yesterday uh, made it impossible for him uh, to represent the girl anymore. Um, and luckily, I mean, for the girl, unfortunately, probably for the case, the DA sort of said, you know, this is something the mother did, so we wouldn't really look into the girl uh, over that. Um, so it sort of kind of ended there, but it certainly hurt her credibility. And, I mean, it never even got to grand jury. And usually, I mean, that seemed like a slam dunk for a while. Uh, Tim Graham, who came on the show to talk about it, did say uh, early in the process that there was talk that Patrick Kane might t- turn himself in. Uh, someone at a wedding told me that they had a video of Patrick Kane dragging the girl into his bedroom. Uh, so this is how crazy it got. But I can see why you guys avoided talking about it. Yeah, and you know, and you don't want to be a fanboy. You know, and you don't want to be a victim shamer or anything like that. And you you also don't want to get caught with your pants down. You don't want to go to the... I don't know the kid. You know, I just know people who know him. I don't know him. So I'm not going to come on here and say, Patrick Kane would never do this. I don't know. I don't know if he would. And he's gotten in trouble before. And I mean, at the parade this year, he said, we've talked all year about how mature I've been, and I just ask you to please watch me the next week. <laughs> because he knew he was ready to to tear the house off the place celebrating that cup. Uh, but I don't know to be able to go through all that. Uh, he laid low after it, by the way. Um, he stayed in his home. I got a buddy who parks cars at one of the nicest restaurants in Buffalo for a little extra money on the side. And he said he'd see him. They would come in for t- takeout. His mom would come and get the takeout. He'd stay in the car and like hide himself in the car. I mean, he hit, uh, which I think was a good move. I mean, he, you know, and he didn't go out and skate. There's no rinks. He doesn't have a rink at his house. Um, and he didn't, his, his uh, agent said in the article, they thought about getting him some ice time at 5 a.m. Adam, when my brother was a senior in high school, uh, he played at a prep team called St. Francis Prep. And they would skate every day at an ice rink um, in Orchard Park, New York, uh, where the Bills Stadium is. And uh, they would skate every day at like 11. And from 9 to 11, Kane had the ice. And Kane would invite my brother on. Uh, almost every day to skate with him and and a goalie. That was really the only people who are out there. My brother Kane and a goalie. And um, this is a funny story about his dad, who's not the nicest guy or well received in the area. Um, my dad went up to Kane one day. Uh, they were organizing a golf tournament that they do for the prep team that my brother plays for, played for. And he asked Patrick if he'd sign a hat and a jersey. And Pat's like, "Yeah, no problem. You know, so my brother had been skating with him every day all summer, uh, which was great for my brother." Uh, and uh, he signed the jersey, and he went to sign the hat, and Pat Stagg came over and snatched the hat away, said, one thing's enough. He <laughs> wasn't even happy he signed the jersey, but uh, I don't know. It's an incredible thing to happen, and it still blows my mind that this kid is from here. I mean, it's so weird when you have a player who could probably 
I mean, you could probably make the case now he's the greatest player to ever play hockey from the United States of America. He's certainly on a very short list. Um, and it'd be crazy to think he could retire and not be at the top of it at this point. So, blows my mind he's from here. He's made a lot of mistakes. Um, he had a lot really early in his life. And uh, we, like I said, we spent all last year, really, the theme of the show was talking about how much he matured. Um, and then, obviously, a huge setback this summer. But it might not have been his fault. I don't know. We'll never know, I guess. Only people who really know are Pat and the girl. That's the kind of bummer about it. But I think life will move on for him. If Ben Roethlisberger's experience um, in this area is a is a uh, maybe a blueprint for how things will go for Kane, I think he'll be fine. So I don't know. Incredible streaks. I've been babbling a lot. What was I talking about you've the last been, five minutes? You've been talking about hockey, and I've just been basically smiling and nodding. So, I mean, I just... All right, well, let's take a break. I brought Adam on, so I wouldn't drone on and on and on, and I've been droning on and on and on. So. That's, that's all right. Hey, I, you, don't, you don't want me to... I can start droning on and on. <laughs> well, I just don't... I, I didn't want the Browns talk to get out of hand, so I had to step uh, in. You're going to have to make a real display to fix that. <laughs> I'm teasing Adam. He's not a Browns fan. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Jimmy Trainer from Fox Sports. Uh, Adam and I will be back to do the book club. Uh, then we'll talk to Ryan Aber, and we will end the show with one last thing. All right, our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of CW Post University. We first spoke to him while he was at Sports Illustrated, but now he is a writer for Fox Sports, and he's making his third appearance on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Jimmy Trainer. How's it going, Jimmy? It's going very well. Thank you for that nice intro, and it's good to speak to you. Yeah, it's good to have you back. I know last time when we talked, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Stern Show, and that's mostly what I wanted to do today. And when we kind of were setting it up last week, we were discussing when to do it, and um, uh, you know, going into the week, there was so much uncertainty about where we would be at this time. We're at seven thirty on Wednesday, and I think going into the week, we had no idea. And I think. In true stern fashion, I think the time I least likely expected an announcement was at the top of the show Tuesday. If I would have ranked the uh, times, that would have been my least likely. But uh, I'm glad he's back and uh, just you're interested to get your first reaction to when you uh, heard the announcement and what your initial thoughts and, and, and where what he said lined up to maybe what you expected. Um, not shocked at all that he announced his return. I, I had said on Twitter many times to people that there is a 0% chance he would retire. So I was not surprised by that. Um, I was not all that surprised he re-signed with Sirius. I thought maybe there could have been a thing there where he went to like Apple or Pandora or Spotify, but um, I just think in terms of 
the way he's now sort of remade himself into this interviewer extraordinaire. From that standpoint, I thought Sirius was still the best fit for him. So I was not surprised by um, the announcement that he was staying Sirius. I was not surprised about the announcement that they were adding some video streaming app. I had predicted that on Twitter many times. I was beyond stunned and shocked, pleasantly so, that he announced he was coming back for five years. I thought it would be right. two, maybe three tops. So that was a very pleasant surprise that, like I said, I found it shocking. I bet that was the bargaining chip on the serious side, was the length. I think that's just my guess is that, you know, Howard sort of in a way seemed to, I mean, if their estimations are 12% of their audience uh, subscribes for the show, uh, I I saw that's like a loss of $250 million in revenue. Uh, And if you're paying a guy $80 million, I mean, it seems pretty likely you would keep him. I think what they had on their side was maybe initially he was thinking like you two, three more years, uh, and they were able to squeeze the duration out of him uh, to get the price Howard wanted. And that's just speculation. We'll never know. But that was just my thought I think it, when I heard that. I think it's also a little easier to sign a five-year deal when you only have to work three days a week and you get right. a tremendous amount of vacation time. Right. 114 but shows that contract is the last now, That contract yeah. will take them, you know, if I'm not mistaken, that contract now will take them to 67 years 67, old. 67, yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, that, that was still surprising to me. You know, I think in terms of other platforms, I actually was listening before I called you to the last hour of uh, Terrestrial Radio, which was part of Sternthology today, and... You know, you yeah. think back to that Howard Stern, the 52-year-old guy, I guess, that was standing there uh, talking about being the last of a dying breed. And I think that was a guy very, very, very ambitious and ready to tackle a new medium. Where the 62-year-old Howard, I think Sirius was ultimately very inviting to him because he just walks in and walks out every day. The studio is there. It's in place. The technology is expanding. You know, there are more cars. Uh, it's more accessible. The app is better and better. I mean, the app in 2013 was a nightmare. The app in 2015, I, I barely noticed that it, you know, because I listen on the app. I don't have a radio. I listen. Right. And uh, 2000, Same. Same 2013, I, I thought, I don't know how much more I can do this. And uh, and now it's, it's, I don't even think about it. It it's, works just fine. So I wonder if his age, I just think at 62, I don't think he was ambi- quite ambitious enough to tackle such a huge endeavor of starting somewhere brand new and maybe with uh, sort of a fresh... I mean, if you take that show to, his show to Apple, you're kind of recreating the show in a way, and I, I don't think you really want right. to do that if you didn't have to. I, I, I think you make an excellent point, and I, I think you're dead on. You know, uh, we both listen to this show, um, and I think we're both the kind of fans who enjoy it very much. I, I in the last few weeks, have been browsing the subreddit the Howard Stern subreddit, uh, mostly just because those people are very good. People who use it are very good at um, uh, getting the information that's on this giant internet about Howard and putting it in one place. But you also notice, you know, people who call themselves fans and how they react to the show in 2015. And there was even an article about the evolution of the show in the Washington Post. I don't know if you had a chance to read that article. Or not, I think it was a couple of days ago, they talked just about yep. kind of the evolution I, of yep. it. 
How do you? I read it. I, tw- I tweeted it. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to my wife tonight about how I don't think it would have made any sense to do ten or five more years of the same same show they did in 1994, or uh, at any point. I think uh, evolution is something we see in all forms of entertainment, uh, whether it's music or film or radio with Howard. Um, I wonder, as a fan. Ideally, how would you like to see the the show evolve through this contract? Well, I I, I think the biggest evolution of the show is, is, is coming up in the next five years is going to be um, the the video aspect of it, and I think um, I think uh, being able to I mean you know he had Adam Sandler in studio for two hours yesterday. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, I think the fact that, you know, you may be able to fire up the app and watch the video of that is, is pretty great. I think, you know, they do a lot of stuff, uh, with the whack packers. If you're into that, um, I think you're going to get a lot more specials like that. They do these embedded series, all lends itself to video. Um, so I, I think the evolution of the show is really going to come in the form of video. I don't think the show itself will change much over the next five years. I mean, the show is pretty much what it is. It's phenomenal, phenomenal lengthy interviews. You're phoning phone calls. Uh, you have uh, the news with Robin, which has always been my favorite part of the show. And um, I, I don't see that drastically changing. Yeah, I think if there's one thing as a fan that I would like to see incorporated into the show more, it's maybe the use of comedians. Um, that's mm-hmm. definitely a part of the show that, you know, it's not the strippers or the lesbians as much that I miss, I, but I sometimes do miss the comedians, whether it's the consistent voice of a guy like Artie, which I'm sure we're never going to get again, um, whether it be Artie or anyone else, or the occasional drop-in of um, a guy during the news, like you mentioned, or just... Yeah, I would love... He has... He, he often will have Jimmy Kimmel on for a whole show to sit in, and right, I that's think that's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be opposed to that um, at all. Yeah, I would love to see more of that. Um, I think that that is a, a part of the show's past that sometimes we miss. You are right, though, that Jimmy is uh, sort of someone who is able to um, to break that barrier down a little bit. But, you know, like uh, an article a few months ago that made uh, noise was comments about how guys like Gilbert Godf- Gottfried are exiled from the show. And um, I don't know about Gilbert specifically and whether he's the guy, but, you know, I, I was I was actually listening to, like I said, that last hour, and, I mean, he's thanking guys like Jim Florentine and, and just all these guys, and, and those are guys that are sort of regulated, or, uh, regulated, uh, are sort of uh, relegated to the wrap-up show now, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the trade-off, though, is there's more A-list celebrities on the show. Um, you know, I mean, just over the last year or two, the interviews he's done with Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David, uh, even, you know, you go movies, I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, even Tarantino today. You know, yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, the caliber of the A-list guest is really, I mean, he had Madonna on. Um, he's had um, Billy, the, the A-list star, um, is now, you know, a, a regular part of the show, even this week. I mean, Adam Sandler Tuesday, Tina Fey Monday, 
and Quentin sent it you know Wednesday. Right. Um, you know, I think I think that's the trade off. Um, but yeah, I mean, on slow days, I wouldn't mind comedians. But he's, I mean, my thing is this: if he has no guests, no comedian, no A-list star, and he just busts chops with Ronnie and Richard and Gary, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, I've always loved this show being about the show. Uh, right. you, you know, I've always loved that aspect of it, um, and yep. I will continue to love that aspect of it. Uh, like you said, um, sometimes I cringe uh, for poor Baba Booey uh, because uh, when the uh, when the when the when the lens gets pointed in that direction, it does get brutal. But <laughs> I, I have to say, I have to say, I know it's it's all shtick, and I know Howard loves Gary, but even even this week or, or, or last week, I get it all confused because, like I, like you, I listen at all different times and hours, right? Um, Howard busting on Gary for putting the Christmas card in his bag instead of mailing it to him was it was a bit much. Right, right. That it was, was hysterical. <laughs> yeah, and I know it's a bit, and I know it's not real. But if it was real, Howard should check himself into a mental institution. Right. I, I think that there is a little <laughs> bit of a uh, real and bit mixed in there. I think you know. Yeah. I think we get to see. I think it's just more like you know it's time to just bust Gary chops here and you know let's have some laughs do you listen to the wrap-up show i don't yeah just did because, you, did you just used to it's nothing it's it's simply for the reason that by that time i'm i'm, I'm burnt out i mean after four four and a half hours it's it's time to move in a different direction right yeah that that's one thing i used to really enjoy the wrap-up show i think in the arty days uh when they focused more about the show it seems like the the wrap up show has sort of evolved into this sort of almost strange cheerleader for the show, where they right. bring in some celebrity to brag to them about how great the show is, and then talk. I will about say it. this: I mean, I'm sorry, I I, I agree with you in, the, in terms of this. even even when it was what you what you said, I didn't listen to it only because, like I said, after all that time, yeah, I, I need right. to move on with my day. But I did obviously like the older version better simply because then the next day on the show was, even if you don't listen to the wrap-up show, right. it was Howard breaking down, oh, Artie had a fight with Sal, Sal had a fight with Gary, Monica had a fight with this one, and, and then, then the, the actual show um, was was given a, a total boost of entertainment value. That doesn't happen now. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would prefer the older version as well. But I never really listened to that one either. But I, obviously, Howard then brought everything to the show, so it was it was worth it. Right. You know, it's uh, sort of something I haven't heard many people talk about yet, which will be interesting, is it's the first time in a long time that they will have to distribute the amount of shows over the 12-month period uh, without Howard's commitments to America's Got Talent. Um, Hallelujah. Yeah, but it will be interesting <laughs> to see. I can't imagine that means Howard's doing more shows. And well, no, I, I wonder how I wonder how they will distribute that. If they'll just be, I mean, if you look at, I mean, that's probably two weeks of shows that he spread out into six last year. Well, what he did was the, the entire summer, if I'm not mistaken, June, July, and August. He only did two days a week, and or one even sometimes. Yeah, and I'm sort of like, I don't know if this is like an OCD or like anal retentive thing, but I'd almost rather him do no shows and have like a full week of like, you know, best of than do the one or two shows a week. Like, right. I know people have said that it's only three. I think I, I have no issue with three. Three's fine. 
because you know there's so much on Thursday and Friday. Either you know if you didn't hear the whole week, you could catch up. Because all the things, I mean, the Stentology stuff on one on one is awesome. is just yeah. so phenomenal. So I use Thursday and Friday really for for that stuff. So I'm fine with the three days a week. When it was two days a week, you did kind of feel shafted. Yeah, as a, as a listener, I like. You know, and that's another thing. How do you want them to, to – what do you want them to do with Thursday and Friday? And I, I think I like when they're just gone for the week the best because they do the um, they do the specials. Uh, you know, Gary and um, and John, I can't think of what they're what they're calling it with the rap. And, uh, Mamory Lane maybe? Uh, Mamory Lane. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Uh, yeah. And I very much enjoy that, whereas if it's a week he's working – uh, whatever days he's not, it's just kind of the shows that he did do in this kind of different order uh, on 100 instead. And uh, I would much rather see uh, them like in uh, the, in the past they've just done old shows, just like one day, like play a whole show from sometime in the contract or or before yep. or, or the memory lane. I'd like to see more of that and less of. Um, replays from the week because we have it on demand it's almost it's really no i'm with you on that i agree yeah um the sportscasts are here with jimmy Trena from fox sports he's at jimmy t-r-a-i-n-a on twitter um and you can check him out there um a couple quick things and i'll let you go uh i want to ask you about sure. francesa too mm-hmm. uh, not to jump off of howard but are you as excited as the francesa world is for the Mike and the Mad Dog reunion. And will you be weaseling your way into the building that night? I, I am going to try every single thing <laughs> in my power to be there. Right. Um, I'm, very, I'm very excited, simply because when the two of them are together, it, it is magic. And, um, you know, given that they don't work together anymore, you get it in, in small doses and it's even more magical. And... Um, I have no doubt it will be an extremely entertaining evening. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I, I think that for guys with huge egos, it seems like they almost approached it underestimating how exciting people would be for it. Whereas that first day, they're like, yeah, you know, we might be around to promote it here and there. And then they kind of realized the demand. And then Mike was like, well, it looks like we might not need to promote it. So maybe we won't. You know, it's like, wow, well, they it, miscalculated It that? is interesting you say that, because I remember when Dog left the show and they split up, and they both said they were surprised by the reaction um, that that generated. So I don't know if it's genuine or if it's, you know, show business speak, but um, I'm not I'm not shocked at all that, that there was huge interest. In, yeah, I mean, and, either. You know, Radio, Radio City would sell out for this. Yeah, I, I mean, when I heard it, I was like, oh, Radio City. Oh, yeah, no doubt. My, I mean, my brother lives in New York City now, and he was telling me he went to see a band called War of Drugs. I've never heard of them. Uh, and they sold out uh, Radio City Music Hall, so I would think that, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog would, would be able to sell it out for a week if they wanted, I think. But, I, I think I think Mike and the Mad Dog could sell it MSG if they wanted. Yeah, so do I. I was thinking about saying that, but I wasn't sure if I was – that would be an outlandish comment, but no, I feel that way too. So I'm excited to have. I like outlandish. Yeah, I'm excited to have this show back. I think it'll be fun. Uh, are you excited for the possibility? It seems like it'll probably end up being a reality in 2016 of uh, Mike spending a day with uh, Bill Simmons as a co-host. It's weird. Um, obviously, I love Mike, and I, I I like Bill Simmons, and I'm a fan, but. 
I have to say that doesn't really do much. I mean, like, listen, I'll listen to it, and I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but I can't say I'm, like, on pins and needles waiting with bated breath for it. I mean, like, if it happens, okay, fine. I'm sure it'll be interesting. If it doesn't happen, I... If it didn't happen, I wouldn't care either. I just... I don't know. It's... Yeah, I, think I mean, Mike is... Mike is special on his own, and, you know, obviously with, with Chris, you know, the chemistry is there. I mean... I think it's interesting because I think Bill will ask Mike some things that Mike, you know, probably wouldn't be asked by other people. But, right. you know, I'm not, I, I can't say it's really like something I'm, you know, can't wait for. I, it, to me, it's fine if it happens, fine if it doesn't. Well, you know, and I think it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if Bill or Iron Eagle would have hosted with Mike. I guess those are the two names. Uh, well, the Iron name, I don't know if Mike said that or if that's what Bill is saying. Uh but I know Bill did say that, that that was the other name of uh, the person that he would have considered post-Mad Dog posting with. I think it really gets interesting when the dynamic of working with each other day in and day out. Uh, I think a one-off is, yeah, cool. It'll be cool. And like you said, I think Bill will put him on his heels a couple times, and that'll be fun. I don't even I don't even know. What's the background on that? Is that like so? Are they doing a show together? Like I haven't even really. Well, I guess the 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 background is that you know Bill was on Mike's show, uh, right. Basically, as soon as his deal ended with ESPN, right? And yeah, that I know. But how did this one time full six hour, five hour show come about? Well, I just think that Mike mentioned to Bill, or they became they came public with the fact that Mike had offered the job to Bill. So uh, back in. 2009 or whatever when when dog left uh or talked put the feelers out whatever the exact way it was and they talked about it and then just sort of on one of the cousin sale podcasts uh bill said that um in 2016 something he really wants to do is go in and do a whole day with with mike Uh, and then i guess the next day then a caller called mike and said did you hear that Simmons wants to do this, and Mike said, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd want to do that, too. So it sounds like... I got you. Yeah, it's both something they want to do, so I'd imagine they'll yeah. get around to doing it at some point in 2016. I mean, listen, I like Bill Simmons, and I think... I think Bill Simmons is the single most important media figure of the past 10 or 15 years. But having said that, I'm, I'm thrilled that he did not become Mike's partner, because yeah. I think when you have an iconic partnership like Mike had with Russo... I don't think you go and get another partner. I think that's not never not gonna not gonna work. Where you're not gonna have the success you had the first time around, and I think there's always gonna be you're always gonna have Michael so much better with dog, Michael so much better with dog. So yeah, and I think it's very hard. I mean, and to make a Stern Show comparison, the reason Artie worked after Jackie was because Artie did a different job than Jackie did. You know, it wasn't like Artie went in, right. you know, to be Jackie. It was different. It was a complete change in the dynamic of the show and Artie was the perfect guy. I mean, my favorite years of the Howard Stern show are the Artie and Stern years. Uh, Maybe just because of my age and, um, you know, living those years. I mean, at 1992, I was 12. So I didn't didn't get to live the Jackie years as, you know, or the Billy West years or whatever. It's weird because I know that the Jackie versus Artie thing is a huge thing for Stern fans. But they did such different roles, yeah. Go ahead. Right, absolutely. And me, me personally, I like both. I, yeah, me I too. I think both were great. And I almost, I, I mean, I started listening to the show probably 
you know, I mean, I remember the Channel 9 show, so, I mean, that's how far I go back with it. And I, it's funny, because I, I, I almost don't break it up into the Artie years and the Jackie years. I break it up into the, for me, I break it up into the serious years and then and the K-Rock years, because that's really, I mean, Artie pretty much joined, um, well, I guess he was, you know, I guess Artie was on K-Rock for a good three five years. Five years. Artie joined in... Five. 2001 to 2006, I guess. Well, you know, sometime yeah, in 2001 yeah. he started, and then they left in December 2005. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you know what? That's, it's interesting. Artie was with Carrie. Yeah, because I remember 2001, Artie was there, and then 2000, yeah. Um, yeah, not long before 9-11. The, so it was late in 2001. He didn't do all of 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. He was not there for 9-11, I remember. So, yeah, that's right. Um, so let's say 2002 to 2006, four years. Um and for me, the split for me is K-Rock versus Sirius only because that, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, Artie, like you said, Artie and Jackie did two totally different things, but it wasn't two totally different shows until it went to, when it went to Sirius, it was a totally different show. Right. And not, not just because of the freedoms, but also, I mean, so a huge, huge part of the K-Rock show, which I love was the daily fights about the FCC and, <laughs> and the about button. them pushing the button, <laughs> yes. censoring the show, and him complaining about it. And obviously when he goes to Sirius, that all goes away. So, um, and in my head, I think of Jackie around for that more than Artie, but as we're talking here, yeah, Artie was there for four years of it. But like I said, I mean, the fights he would have with Tom Shiasano and the guy pushing the button, and, and he was getting censored. I mean, I don't know if the, it's current, Stern listeners understand his show would be syndicated and you know someone in Cleveland might censor something that went out to the rest of the country or something in you know he had tons of censorship issues when he expanded into Canada and into Toronto and so he would fight with the local markets about what they were censoring and that was a that was a huge part of the show that I loved so right but, I, you know so there were benefits of Jackie there were benefits of Artie there were benefits of K-Rock there were benefits of Sirius it's all you know, at the end, it's the Howard Stern show. As long as Howard's there, every you know, it's always going to be good. And I think my point in bringing it up in comparison to Bill with Mike is that Bill would have tried to step into the seat of Mad Dog and recreate the show in a way. There was no, like, sure, they would have taken it in new directions and it would have been different, but I think where it's problematic is it would have been the Mike and Bill show. It's kind of like, and I know you don't listen that much, but it, or at all maybe, it's kind of like what Opie and Jimmy are struggling with uh, post Anthony, um, I have to say I never ever listened to Opie and Anthony, and I never listened really to Opie and Jim. And then I saw online about the, I guess the uh, fight, for lack of a better word, that Opie and Jim had about I don't know three four weeks ago, and yeah. I listened to that whole thing. And I found it to be riveting radio yeah. and fascinating too. That you know, no one's there saying go to break, and they just they went you know totally raw on each other now. Are you? Do you listen to Opie and Jim? Yes. Um, when so, I, what was I only listened to that day? What was like the next day like? Did they patch it up on the air? What was like the not a word, that? not a word. Jim walked really? in and it was like it never happened. Uh, they really? just did not. I don't think Opie is very sensitive. Obviously, if you mm-hmm. listen to that, I'm sure you got a window into that. And I just don't think he could handle it. And I don't think the relationship between the two guys can handle it. It'll be interesting to see if they make it to October. Um, and I, if you see the 
Anthony is doing some revolutionary things on his own. And it's sort of in its infancy still, obviously, having only been one year in. But he's proving a business model uh, and improving an investment that you can turn into a career if you have the listeners, obviously. Um, right. You know, it's like Howard's, I, Howard's point. I did watch the interview. He, I watched the interview he did with Artie on YouTube. Right. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah. And, I mean, he's got an app uh, on cross platforms. He does a show four days a week. He's got other shows on the network. I think it's like around seven bucks a month or something. And you get HD video that you can watch on your Roku or Apple TV or your phone, or you can do audio only. Um, and he's just proven a concept uh, as being viable post Opie and Anthony that I don't think anyone would have believed uh, on July 4th. 2013 or whatever it was when he was fired. Um, I'm blown. Away, I'm blown away by the fact that they never addressed that on air spat they had. Yeah, and they. I did. I I found it interesting. I didn't know obviously until I listened to that thing. I you know I didn't know there was so much animosity between Opie and Anthony. Right. That's and I found it, it fascinating that Jim goes on Anthony's show. I guess. Yeah, Jim and Anthony um, are buds. Jim, and, there's no animosity yeah. on that. Jim and Anthony are not, there's no, you know, no beef there. So right. Jimmy has been on the show many times. And uh, it's a huge, That's fascinating. yeah, it's a huge day in the Kumia world when Anthony and Jim are together again. Because no matter what, uh, people list, in the end, uh, it's still a case of the sum of the parts will always be greater uh, than the people separated. So anytime you right. put those parts together in a two out of three way, uh, people are pumped for it, um, and unfortunately, right, right. And unfortunately, it just doesn't look like Opie can handle it, and uh, it's pushing a wedge between him and uh, uh, Jimmy. And I will, I would be shocked. I would be shocked if it's not the Anthony and Jimmy show in in October. Um, interesting. And it'll be interesting to see what the company wants to do with Opie then, and uh, what kind of show is left, uh, and. You know, maybe they're just happy with it being the Opie and Rob Kelly show, or, uh, geez, one of them. I mean, they use comedians a lot. You know, every day there's right. a different comedian sitting in. Usually, uh, that that one you listen to, it's this really unbelievably annoying comedian. I I think her name is Esther Koo. Uh, and you know, yeah, she, I, <laughs> she was brutal. I actually went on Twitter to ask people. She, I didn't know. I didn't know if she was a regular or just a guest that day. No, basically, I, yeah. Ever since Anthony's what, left, what, they just bring a comedian in almost every day. Right, and it's a. It real, was even more fascinating to me that they would have that fight while the guest was there. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, and she was trying to somewhat get in the middle of it. It's a fascinating thing for anyone listening to yeah. us that uh, hasn't heard it. Like, uh, yeah, like if you're if you're a radio geek, it yeah, if you love radio, pretty good stuff. it's worth listening to. Uh, well, listen, why don't you let us know what's going on at Fox Sports before I let you know what you go and uh, let our listeners know what you're doing there. We always like to find out what the evolution of your uh, job is there. Get us up to date. Let us know what you're doing, and well, uh, we can check it out. FoxSports.com slash buzzer is where uh, you find what I do there. We we have this section, the buzzer, which is basically our Fox Sports is blog and where we cover the lighter side of sports and the nonsense and the funny stuff that isn't so serious. So we have a lot of fun. You can find all our 
stuff there. All our posts there, foxsports.com slash buzzer. Um, podcast is on a little bit of a hiatus, but I'll be getting that back up right after the new year. And that's about it. Real quick before you go, tell me what, sure. as, as someone doing a podcast, what yeah. what do you find to be the pros and the cons of it, and what do you find uh, challenging and easy about it? I'm always curious about this. The, to me, the only pro is when I'm actually doing the interview. Okay. I love doing the interview. Right. If the guest is good. The cons are everything else. Booking it. Booking, yeah. You know, finding the guest. You know, then you pray that the guest is good and going to have fun and, and give you good answers. Um, and, you know, for so many years at SI, Sports Illustrated, when I was doing hot clicks, and now even at Fox, just, you know, doing, you know, bloggy stuff and blog posts, the, the, the reaction you get when you do that stuff is so immediate. You know, I would do hot clicks at SI, I would put it out, and, you know, Thousands of people would click on the link and, and, and consume it. And here at Fox, you know, we, we do a blog post. I put it out there and, you know, thousands of people on Facebook are, are, are clicking like and share and this right. and that. The podcast is the complete opposite of that. You put it out there and you have no idea when anyone's listening to it. Um, you could do a podcast and, you know, get some feedback a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later. Um, so it, it's very interesting from that standpoint because you just don't know how and when people are consuming it um and which is fine if you weren't used to the other way but i was so used to the other way i just i really like doing interviews and i like talking to funny interesting people who have something to say it's the the con is when you you know you do one that you're really not into and and you, you know you do it maybe because the guy's a big name but he's really not saying much and booking it really is is really the problem. The other issue too is you know you you know it's weird. Um, we're in this time where at least this is the case over at FoxSports.com is you know we get a lot of traffic from Facebook, and if you look at the analytics for any website, Twitter is basically useless when it comes to traffic compared to Facebook. I mean, the percentages are just off the charts. I mean, you get. You know, we get eighty percent of our traffic to a to a blog post from Facebook and and one percent from Twitter. Wow. But I feel like for podcasting, it it almost has to be the opposite way because I think I think um, I think if someone's listening to your podcast, it's it's more because they're into you than the guest. Obviously, if you have a guest, I mean, I did a podcast. I think it was over the summer, or maybe right when the season first started with JJ Watt. Now, listen, if you don't give two, you know what's about me. You're still going to listen to that because you have one of the best players in the NFL on, and, and JJ Watt's this guy that people are into. But I think for the average podcast, you, you listen to it because of the host. And <laughs> I think you. Well, I think oh boy, you we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Oh and no, I, and I think you, and I think you sell it more on Twitter. Um, I think Twitter is where you really can sell the podcast more than on Facebook. So. It's just a completely different world. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, you could do one with what's considered a big name, and it's just whatever. And, you know, you don't really care if people listen to it. But then, like, you could do one with, like, a seedless celebrity who's great, and you want people to listen to this because you it's funny. But, you know, I don't, you know, you can't get people to listen to it because it's, you know, it's not, it's not, Clicking a link and reading something—you have to—they have to consume it. And you've done a great job um, with wrestlers. It's, it's a, 
it's a challenge. Yeah, you've done a great job with wrestlers when I've heard you interview them. Just because I think it's really interesting when you get a wrestler out of the world of wrestling, out of that bubble. Right. And I think you've done yeah, a great, I lo- great job there. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And I love doing, the, I love doing the, the interviews with the wrestlers for a variety of reasons. One, um, you know, they're really nice guys. I mean, I haven't had a bad experience. Two, you know, they're not there plugging anything but themselves and the WWE. Right. You know, when you get a, you know, when you're doing a lot of times you'll get an interview with an athlete, it's because they have to plug whatever product they're pushing. So there's none of that with WWE. You know, they're plugging themselves and, and, and in the WWE, I mean, they're there to show some personality. So, um, you know, they do that. Athletes in this day and age are very guarded and they may not want to. Right say anything that, you know, might cause a stir. So it's a challenge. I mean, I always find, too, the the podcasts I do with people who I've gotten to know a little bit um, are much better than the ones where I just, for the first time, I'm talking to someone and they don't get that I'm going to ask ridiculous questions just because I want to have fun and I'm not looking to, you know, embarrass them or, you know, stuff like that. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up how hard it is to book these because, just a real quick story. I was listening to Katie Nolan on the Bill Simmons show, uh, the yes. Bill Simmons podcast. And at the time, these two shows are number one and two on iTunes. Um, I think Katie's was number one and Bill's is number two. And Bill mentions that Katie should really have Yager on. And uh, Katie, who's Who? uh, Yarmy Yager. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess there's something uh, with her haircut. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Katie, to be honest. Uh, not for any reason. I just, I just don't know a lot about her. Uh, so that's why I enjoyed that podcast. I got to get to know her a little bit better. So obviously she's becoming a huge star. And um, I guess something with her haircut when she was younger, she's compared it to Yarmer Yager's mullet in the same time period. Um, and Bill says, you know, you got to get Yager on. And, and Katie just is like, well, you know, you don't understand that this isn't the Bill Simmons show. You know, this is hard to book. I just don't get whoever I want. And I'm sitting on the other end, just sitting there saying, oh, if you two had any idea, if you two had any idea. And I'm not being I'm not being a baby. Look at we we're an independent show uh, that's gotten lucky a couple times. And I've worked really hard. I work really hard to book the show. Uh, and you know, luckily it's gotten us guys like yourself and Joe Buck and, uh, Peter King, uh, whatever great guests that we've had Artie Lang. I mean, I never thought I'd ever talk to Artie Lang. Um, but I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, Katie Nolan thinks it's hard to book a podcast. I hope our listeners are listening to that and uh, appreciating that. And I hope they heard you say that too, because. I have one show left after this for the year till we we take a break until, um, you know, until after the new year or what, whatever. And I just keep thinking, okay, you only have two more guests to book. I mean, right, it's just, I right. mean every time. Well, that, that, go ahead. Yeah. That's the other issue. That's the other issue that I found with this. And this is, I mean, this started back even when I was doing this at Sports Illustrated. That and now I do it at Fox. And you, you, you book it, you do it, you tape it. And you have no time to enjoy it because the second you you the second you hang up this phone with me, you're going to have to start figuring out who you're booking next. 
Yeah, and it's the last show, like, and it's well, who can right. I get for the last show? Who? Can, what can I so do? You special, get one, and you, know? you can get a great guest, and it can be a great podcast, and you think all oh, people are going to listen to this, and they're going to like it, and it's going to be great. And but the second you're done, you have to book another one. Right, and that's why I was so happy with the timing of Joe Buck. We just had Joe Buck a few weeks ago, and it just right. happened to time out that we did the interview, and then we sort of went on a smaller break for Thanksgiving. You know, so it's perfect because instead of only being up for a week, it was up for more like 10 or 11 days as the top one on the page or the top one on the feed. Right. Now, you know, the other issue I have too, and I'd be curious to know what, if you have this issue because yeah. I know you're doing mainly media people and even media people like myself sometimes are jerks like I was too and we booked <laughs> this for like 12 o'clock and then I had to ask you to move it to right. 7.30. So even when you book it, you go through this nonsense with idiots yes. like me. I book podcasts with athletes. I mean, it is impossible to get them to nail down a time. I mean, I've had athletes blow me off for two, three, four hours. You know, we'll say, okay, we're taping it at one, and at three o'clock, they'll get in touch with me and say, oh, I forgot, I'm sleeping in my hotel room. I had one athlete basically blow me off because he had a girl in his hotel room. You know, I'm, you know, waiting to, you know, take this thing. So, I don't know. I, I think media people are probably more responsible because we go through it and probably wouldn't do that to other media people, but right. that's another, you know, you can book it and then you have to actually get the guy or girl to, you know, answer their phone or make the phone call. And that's another issue. No, that's definitely a thing. I mean, every time I sit down at the computer to call someone, I take a deep breath and hope they're going to answer. Um, <laughs> because, you that right. yep. because I know that feeling. Because you know what? And look at. I'm a, I'm a nobody. And I say that I say that I mean not 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 like a, a negative. I I'm just you know it, that the fact that they agreed to come on is is a is a mer- is right. miracle number 1. Then getting them to answer yeah. is miracle number 2. You know, so and I understand that. So and you know this podcast was born in 2009, 10. I had a career, I had a life. Uh you know, and then unfortunately <laughs> and unfortunately because of Crohn's disease uh, my life had to change, and um, this oh, wow. po- this podcast was a way for me to fill the time uh, that right. my career uh, filled before. Um, mm-hmm. So I do have a little flexibility on some days because of how drastically my life has changed in the last few years, and um, and I think with uh, well, I, each guest, you kind of I mean, know how it might turn out. I mean, I listen. I think you're. I think you're hard on yourself, and I wouldn't call you a nobody, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't, um, you know, sort of poo poo what you do because what I've noticed about your podcast is you do book it every week, and you do do one every week, and you do get a person every week, and I think that's a huge, huge accomplishment that you should be proud of because there's a lot of people who can't do that, me included. So, um, you know, I, I think that's you know half the battle, basically. Yeah. Well, this season, which we we started. Uh, we started the season, you know, early in January. You know, we took a, we take our time after Christmas. Uh, we come back, you know, the first or second week after January. And I actually um, just sat down. So this just give you and, and the listeners uh, a perspective. We'll talk about more about this next week. But I made a spreadsheet. And um, we had this year, we did, we're going to do 41 shows uh, for the year. Um, so that's just a little under one week, and um, we have had um, sixty-two guests. 
That is in front. That is damn impressive. Yep, and we didn't repeat a guest until the 18th show. So I went 18 shows before right. we had a guy two times, and we usually do two yeah, guests, two guests a show. So. There's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with repeating a guest if the guest is good. Right, and we have guys for things, you know, like uh, you know Lee Jenkins. God bless him is kind of our basketball guy. And uh, right. when I want to talk about basketball, the first name I in my head is Lee, and then the second name is uh, Tass Mellis, and you know we go from there. Um, and you know, like once a quarter, I wanna I really try to challenge myself, and I want to try to get someone um, who I wouldn't dream of. And I think we did pretty well this year. We had Anthony Cumia for the first time. Uh, we had Linda Cohn for the first time. Uh, we had Eddie Trunk for the first time, and we had Joe Buck for the first time. So. I'm happy with that. Sounds good to me. Yeah, and um, now who have you who have you not had who you want on? Who's a who's a dream booking? Huh. Well, the first dream booking was Tom Verducci because when we very first started the show, I talked to whoever was in charge of PR at SI, and he said to me, "Look, you can do whatever ever you want with SI guys. You know, if you ever if there's anything I can help you with, let me know." He said, "But I'm going to tell you now, Tom Verducci's never going to come on. He turns down Francesa." Um, so I can't. That's ridiculous. He's been, on, he's been on three times. So he, he uh, that was the first dream book, and I conquered that just because he said that to me. So I, I got that right away, and he's been back a few times since, including after the World Series last year. Uh, one of his first uh, audio interviews after the World Series was our show, which was great to talk to him about calling this World Series. I was so happy to be able to do that. Um, you know, I, don't, I always said Simmons was the number one, but um, – the number one is probably Mike McCready, the guitar player from Pearl Jam, because I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy, and I know Addie Vedder's not coming on, uh, but the idea of Mike, <laughs> but the idea of Mike McCready coming on isn't isn't insane to me. Uh, also, we're kind of brothers in Crohn's. Uh, we both have Crohn's, and um, uh, I have talked to people at Ten Club uh, about this, and uh, they have also said, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Duff Duff McKagan. Uh, the bass player from Guns N' Roses was on the show. So, right. You know, and, oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah, and you know what? That was the first break we ever got on this podcast because he was writing a column at ESPN, and I booked it through uh, a girl at ESPN PR, and I called her on like a Thursday, and she said I can set him up for Tuesday, and on Monday they announced that Guns N' Roses was entering the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you got to love when that happens. And, you, and as far as I can tell over the years – uh, the first audio interview with Duff McKagan posted announcement was ours, and we did so well with that one, we couldn't do a show for three weeks because we couldn't afford all the bandwidth we used. Um, wow. So oh, That's a great story. Yeah, right so that was really just dumb luck. Um, you know, and uh, the whole thing with Richard and the pictures was probably the second break. Well, uh, I don't think that's dumb luck. I mean, you, that was... That was some smarts on your part. It was though. my I mean, idea. I don't, know, I, don't, I, I don't know how many people would have thought to go through ESPN PR for that. That was a smart move. Um, so uh, I, I don't think it's all luck there. I mean, that was using your brain. Well, but, you know, where it is dumb luck is that I just wanted to do a really cool thing with Duff McKagan. I had no idea they were going to get uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the day before, and I had no idea because of that everyone would want to hear from him what his thoughts are and whether or not the band would perform there. Right, right, so that's right. where the kind of the luck came in, and you know, with Richard, it's it, the in the photos, it's lucky because Richard's tweet that went nuts was the exact same as my tweet a week before, um, 
but I didn't have enough followers or strength to make it a thing. So I was lucky that Richard saw that tweet and thought it was a good idea and did it on his feed. And right. I'm also lucky that Richard is a nice enough guy that when everyone came to him, he said, hey, this guy is a part of it too and you should talk to him, which was a reason right. why we were able to get buzz on CNN and locally I'm we got it. To glad, I'm glad Richard gave you credit. You know, yeah, he was great about it, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, so, but listen, you don't want to talk about this stuff. You've had a long day. Well, I, I, I asked you the question. So. <laughs> That's true. And I appreciate that. I, people don't ask me questions often, so I do appreciate that. Listen, Jimmy is a great guy. You got to follow him on Twitter at Jimmy T R A I N A. And as he told us, it's foxsports.com slash buzzer where you can find all of his awesome work on the buzzer um, podcast in 2016 sometime. Uh, and uh, we will have uh, Jimmy back soon. We have so many, I think we're children of the same era and we have many shared interests. Mm-hmm. I remember the first yep. time we talked a lot about WrestleMania three and Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, and since we've talked about Howard Stern and Francesa and all kinds of things like that. And I can't wait to find out what we talk about next time. So, Jimmy, we'll be checking out the work on foxsports.com slash the buzzer and uh, following you on Twitter and looking forward to all of your work in 2016. So thank you for all the time today and happy holidays. You too. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So we want to thank Jimmy Trainer for being on the podcast today. Uh, I am a radio nerd, and it was fun to talk about radio uh, with Jimmy. All right. Just a radio nerd? What's that, Adam? Adam's just here. A ra- just a radio nerd? Is that it? Yes. Uh, the book club. You seem, to be, you seem to be a Saved by the Bell nerd, you said the other day. <laughs> No, that was you. Uh, well, you know, I hey, look at I'll admit that I've seen every episode of Saved by the Bell probably five times. Okay, okay, yeah. I just checked. I mean, I think it was on every single day when I came home from school on TBS or whatever. So I've definitely seen many episodes Saved by the Bell. I even watched uh, my wife and I. We watched the uh, the the movie that they made that was on like I don't know, Lifetime maybe. The so under- like behind. The- the unauthorized story of uh, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I heard it was kind of uh, yeah. It's funny. It was definitely told from Screech's point of view. Uh, okay. And since we have seen the nine hundred two one zero one, and maybe a third one too. I don't know. Uh, book club. Take your eye off the puck. How to watch hockey by knowing where to look. By the puck daddy Greg Wachinski uh, is in bookstores everywhere. We had Greg on a few weeks ago. You can go back into the archives and check out. Our discussion with Greg about this book. Um, the Puck Daddy is great. Uh, and if you're a fan of his work on Puck Daddy on Yahoo or his appearances on the show, you're going to love the book. Uh, again, it's called Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look. Uh, this will fit in a stocking. So if you're looking for a stocking stuffer, uh, this book uh, would work as well. Uh, also, for the first time ever in the book club, in an ultimate act of laziness, we had a CD Terrorizing Telemarketers Volume 6 uh, by Jim Florentine and Don Jameson is available now uh, on iTunes for download or streaming on Apple Music or Stitcher. 
you can also buy the physical CD at the gigs of the comics, including a live performance of that metal show featuring Eddie Trunk, Jim Florentine, and Don Jameson in Rochester, New York, on January 2nd, 2016. Uh, so they were in Buffalo in November and will be in Rochester in January. And you can get more gigs on donjameson.com or jimflorentine.com. There's a list of gigs there. And as well as Eddie Trunk's page uh, for eddietrunk.com for lists of that metal show gigs. Are you familiar with the comedy of Jim Florentine or Dom J- Don Jameson, uh, Adam? I think is Jim Florentine, was he on Crank Anchors? Yes. I think that's where I know him from. Yes, and have you ever seen that metal show on VH1 Classic? No. Really? No. You've never seen that? What kind of music do you like? I've got, uh, I guess I like, like classic rock and hip hop, maybe. Huh. Okay. Well, the classic rock is certainly well represented on that metal show. I know, but my 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 television watching is limited to sports, and uh, that's that's all the TV I use. That that South Park there. Okay, I think you've told me that before. Um, I've got limited time to watch TV these days. But terrorizing telemarketers, Volume Six, it's fantastic. And Jim and Don have been on recently. To discuss it, John kicked the or Jim kicked the promotion off with us in early November, and then Don came in two shows ago, uh, or, yeah, two shows ago, uh, to talk about it. What was the last week's show? I don't know. I should know this, but I, I, I yes, last week's show. Him and Lee Jenkins, of course. Uh, and also, since he's kind enough to be here, we will mention hail to the Redskins. Gibbs, the Diesel, the Hugs, and the Glory Days of DC's Football Dynasty by the great Adam Lazarus is available in bookstores now as well. You know what I wanted to ask you, and this might be a good time to ask you it. Did you see the 30 for 30? You don't watch TV. But did you get any time to watch the 30 for 30 about the four falls of Buffalo? No, I didn't. I saw I saw a lot of people talking about it. I'm sure I'll catch up with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out how you thought the coverage of Super Bowl 25 was. And if they had any interesting nuggets about Super Bowl 25 in the documentary, considering you spent so much time writing a book about that Super Bowl, sort of. Yeah, I'll have to catch it. I'll catch, catch, catch it when I get a chance. The, uh, yeah, that Bills, I don't know. How, how, how was it received up there? Yeah, they, no, they, 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 had they, had a, those they had a premiere here. Uh, yeah. And um, let's see, Kelly Tasker... Kelly Tasker, Thurman, maybe one other Bill were there, and the director, and it it was a huge hit. People loved it. And um, I talked to my mom, who's a huge Bills fan, and my younger brothers, Bills fans, and uh, others, and they all enjoyed it. And I thought I was going to hate it because I thought it was going to be a long documentary about trying to convince me that going to four is better than winning one. Um, and they didn't really do that, actually. So that is a good question. Uh, but yeah, winning one, you would take your same people oh, over that. God, yeah. Oh my God! I when I think of everything I put into that day, all the uh, energy and emotion, and that season, and I mean, okay, so Carolina's thirteen and zero right now, right? Well, the Saints made it to thirteen and zero, and. I just remember thinking after the 13th game, which I think was a win over Carolina. It was either Carolina or Atlanta. 
The last three were Washington, Atlanta, and Carolina in some order. I think it was Washington, Atlanta, and Carolina. Uh, but you just it just takes so much. I just couldn't imagine what would I, what I would have thought if they lost that game. So, and I couldn't well, imagine. You gotta catch him. That's the whole thing. Is you can you can win as many division titles, conference champions. You gotta cash in for it to matter. I mean, yeah, it's it so hard. And I mean, the Bills came and make the playoffs. They've been back to the playoffs in sixteen years. I mean, their yeah. their, their playoff drought can get a driving license. Where were you? It's 16- not going to end this year, either. No, I mean this will be the sixteenth year. If they, I mean, I'm assuming already they don't get in, but Jesus, it's not a bad film though. Uh, but anyway, those are the books. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman, and then Adam and I will be back for one last thing. All right, our next guest is from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and went to Northeastern State University, who has a fight song on YouTube that sounded like it was recorded in a toilet. Uh, (laughs) He covers the Oklahoma Sooners uh, for News Oklahoma and uh, the Oklahoman, and he's making his his first appearance on the podcast today. Warren Sportscasters, welcome to Ryan Aber. How's it going, Ryan? Going great. How are you doing today? Did I get your name right? I should ask you before if it was Aber. Yeah, yes, you uh, okay. you did, which uh, is, is pretty unusual, honestly. Do people say Aber? Or... Yeah, or they try to add uh, add letters to it. I get called Amber or Abner a lot, oh. which uh, I I never really understood why people don't think I know how to spell my own last name. <laughs> so, well, I figured it was either you know Aber or Aber, but I went with Aber. I I had it meant to ask, but. Uh, hey, you you got it right. That's all that matters. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, glad to uh, glad to jump on with you. Certainly a huge time in Oklahoma sports right now. I mean, they <laughs> essentially have two top five teams in the two biggest sports in college athletics. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting time for for athletics down here, and I'm sort of right in the middle of everything, uh, sitting here in the parking lot of the basketball gym, getting ready to go in there for practice here in a little bit once I get done talking to you and uh, got done with some football press conferences today. So uh, it's it's a busy time, but a fun time uh, to be covering o- OU uh, athletics right now. Well, this has got to be the best basketball team since the senior year of um, Qantas White and uh, that team, yep. House Price. Yep. Right? That has to be yep. the best team since their last year. I'm trying to think yeah, what year that was. Maybe 2003, uh, something like that. Yeah, the the uh, now Blake Griffin's team, his sophomore year. That's right. That uh, that was, was a great was team. Pretty good. Had Blake. Yeah, uh, they they went to a Sweet yeah, 16, they, right? Yeah, they made the Elite Eight that. Oh, year. the Elite Eight. In, they lost uh, to North Carolina. Yeah, okay. 2008-09. Now, right. certainly, this team has the ability to to eclipse that and get farther uh, in the tournament. But I think at, at this point. That's probably uh, the uh, closest comparison. Uh, that team you mentioned was pretty good, too. And then right. uh, even beyond that, I mean, this has a chance to be uh, the best team since since that uh, 1988 team that lost to Kansas in the uh, national championship game. 
Right. Yeah, that that was uh that was a great team, uh obviously with Mookie Blaylock and the 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 it wasn't Hollis's senior year, I guess, it was his junior year that the team lost to Indiana, right? Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, because so it's, it's uh, you thought they, that they had come back with a huge team and they just couldn't beat Syracuse the following year. They just couldn't beat yeah. that zone, and they kind of went out a little earlier, maybe than I thought. Oh, that that might have been an elite eight too. Either that or yeah, I, I, that was the year. I that, believe that's right. That was the year Syracuse beat like the entire Big Twelve to win the national championship. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they made that crazy run. Yeah, uh, through through all of those those guys. But um, with, uh, Carmelo, so right. But either way, I mean, the two teams are as good as they've either been since '03 or '08, depending how you want to judge those basketball teams. And obviously, I mean, there's been great football teams. What nine uh, Big Twelve uh, titles in the uh, in the Stoops era? Although they make such a big deal out of that, but I don't think people come to Oklahoma to win the Big Twelve. Honestly, don't. I think you go to Oklahoma to, to compete for national championships. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, they make a big deal about conference titles uh, here at OU, which you can sort of understand, especially the fact that they've gotten to so many national championship games uh, since the last one that they won. Uh, I know that Bob Stoops has taken some criticism for that at various times, but at the same time, he's gotten to more of them than anybody else. So uh, you've got to get to them to lose them, I guess. But, uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that they're – their sights are set beyond that every year, especially now with the 14 playoff when uh, you can think that if you win the conference, you've got a really good shot to get in. And if you're OU with the way they schedule, you should get in if you win the conference. Uh, some of the other teams in the conference haven't quite figured that out yet. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a return to expectation for uh, for Bob Stoops and his team. Yeah, I think Oklahoma and Michigan State were the only teams in the country that ended up with the schedule full of bowl-eligible teams. Um, you know, it started off with having sort of to require a miracle to climb out of the Tennessee game, uh, which is fine, an SAC team on the road. You can you can go to the wire in a game like that. And then, obviously, the disaster against Texas. As someone who has followed the team throughout the course of the year uh, as close as anyone, uh, what did they find uh, about themselves, or what was it that happened in that Texas game, or immediately after it, uh, that allowed them to go on the run that they made into the playoffs? Because I, I guarantee there wasn't a person in the country who thought they were going to the playoffs at four o'clock after the first Saturday in October uh, when Texas was walking. <laughs> yeah, out the not, not at all. And I, I think there's a there's a lot of different things that happen in the wake of that really from the time that they walked off the field at the Cotton Bowl that Saturday afternoon to uh, the time that they played Kansas State the next Saturday. But the biggest thing that they unlocked really was turning up the tempo offensively. Texas in that game was able to to get after Baker Mayfield in a way that no other defense had been able to do at that point, although Mayfield had uh, faced a lot of pressure with playing behind an offensive line that had really struggled to that point. And after that, they figured out that if they play fast, if they turn up the tempo, then teams don't have time to dial up uh, a lot of blitzes and do a lot of fancy stuff. They've got to play you head up. And when they played OU head up, uh, the Sooners were able to to out-athlete them in a lot of ways. And uh, they unlocked that key, and that was a a big turning point for them. Uh, Moving forward, they made some changes on the offensive line, went with uh, a true freshman 
at right tackle Drew Samia. Uh, after that, he made a, a big difference out front, uh, especially with the other right tackle that they had in there during the Texas game, uh, giving away whether they were passing or running on any play with uh, what he was doing with a, a tell with where his leg was positioned. And then uh, on the defensive side, they changed a lot too because both Gerard Hurd and Tyrone Swoops really hurt the Sooners defensively in that game with their quarterback run game. And uh, OU changed some things up. They got Hatari Bird out of the game. They moved uh, Will Johnson, who hadn't played much to that point, into the nickel spot and uh, kept Stephen Parker deep at safety, which Parker was, was moving between safety and nickel, depending on what the package was. And uh, that unlocked a lot of things defensively. So I think the, the combination of those two moves on either side of the ball is what helped OU go on this crazy run offensively, go finish the season 7-0 and and make a, make a spot for themselves in the college football playoff. Yeah, and, you know, I think also, you know, one thing I noticed this year, which is a lot different than last year and the few years before it, was you really had a lot of confidence in the offensive coordinator. I mean, if you wanted to drive yourself nuts, you hit up Twitter during an elite <laughs> game in the last few years, and every play call was questioned, um, scrutinized. Uh, you know, I thought Hypel maybe unfairly took a lot of blame for certain things. Uh, but it's just a lot of faith in that area this year, a lot different. Um, as you said, the pace of the offense picked up. And it just really clicked. What, what do you think about the regime change in offense and how important that was uh, for this? OU well, team? I think I'm, I'm with you to a degree on the fact that Josh Heupel was over-criticized a little bit at times. Although, a little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that uh, OU Texas game uh, a couple of years ago in 2013 is still the biggest head-scratcher for me game-planning-wise because they went into a game where Texas could not uh, contain a mobile quarterback they had a mobile quarterback, and they didn't run him at Never all. Ran him. Yep, yep. And uh, they, they wound up losing that game. But over the course of his career, Josh Heupel got a lot of criticism that uh, was a, a bit unwarranted. But Lincoln Riley's come in and really energized this offense, sort of went back to the roots of what Bob Stoops wanted offensively uh, when he got here in 1999 when he hired that way uh, Mike Leach from Kentucky to run the offense and, and sort of started the explosion of the air raid around the country. And uh, Lincoln Riley's done a very similar thing here, injecting life into this offense. We talked about the tempo of it, getting a lot of different receivers involved. Sterling Shepard has been fantastic, but also guys like D.D. Westbrook and Mark Andrews have uh, really contributed in a big way as well. And uh, another sort of key with Lincoln Riley to the, the offensive success that OU had late in the season is he finally figured out how to work in Samaj P. Ryan uh, to this offense. Uh, Lincoln Riley had never had a running back like that when he was right. at East Carolina or uh, before that at Texas Tech and uh, gets a dynamic guy like Samaj P. Ryan. He admitted early in the season he didn't know really how to use him in a proper way, finally figured that out, and that unlocks some things as well offensively. But the players really bought into Lincoln Riley from day one, and uh, it, it showed with the way that they've responded uh, really from game to game as the season progressed. Yeah, I thought he did a great job, really, with both uh, running backs and kind of mixing them together, too, um, uh, the, just the balance between the two. 
Uh, maybe we'll get to that more in a second. I want to ask you this. When you go to a playoff, uh, or in the past a BCS final, or uh, maybe even before that one of the marquee bowls, especially in 2015, it's going to really become about narrative in a lot of ways. Your, your team uh, has to bring some narratives with them uh, to the game. And uh, some of them jump off the page. I think, uh, you know, like some of the things that we've talked about, you know, what happened since the Texas game. Um, Baker Mayfield is going to be a huge uh, narrative and uh, his story. Uh, I think maybe we'll hear some some clever ones like what a great social ambassador for the program uh, Eric Stryker has been. How smart his opinions can be about social issues for such a young kid. Um, I wonder, though, and I wonder if you think the narrative of Mixon is going to haunt this team or foul this team. Haunt is the wrong word. Uh, foul this team to the bowl game and how you think uh, they'll handle it if it does. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that that's going to become a storyline once we get to Miami because of some of the uh, media availabilities and things like that, that they're required to have uh, down in Miami where you've got to make every player available. Joe Mixon has been the only player who's uh, played in any significant role this season that uh, we've never talked to. Uh, we, I, I think the last time I talked to him was at the spring game uh, before he arrived, uh, very briefly, but certainly since the incident uh, here down in Norman off campus where uh, he hit a young woman and left her with uh, multiple broken bones in her face. Did you see the video? Uh, j- yes, I, uh, I did see the video. Okay, and what was your reaction after you seen the video? It's it's awful. Okay. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't I'm not not going to say that it's worse or, or not worse than you know the Ray Rice video and, and other videos that we've seen, but it's uh, definitely sickening. Okay. And it's it's amazing how quickly it happens to go from just sort of sitting there talking to uh, to her on the floor uh, with those broken bones, and I I'm not saying I know there's people who uh, have said, well, what she said caused it, all this stuff. You can't hear any of that. There's no audio to it. But just the uh, the visual of uh, this young football player punching a woman is, is uh, pretty incredible. And I've got to think it's going to get made public at some point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when that is, whether it's, uh, you know, here in the next month when there's a good chance that the uh, appeal is finally heard for the uh, lawsuit to make that public because the, the law is pretty clear. And I know, actually know the guy who wrote it. So uh, it, it's pretty clear that that should be uh, a public record. So it'll be, be interesting to watch that, but I don't think there's any way that that, uh, that storyline isn't, uh, isn't a part of this journey for the Sooners. Wow. Yeah, that would be, that would be really crazy if the the video is available beforehand because i can't imagine i think this is really bubbling under the surface on a national level i think this was a huge story in oklahoma i don't think people understood the severity of it at a national level and it'll be interesting to see uh what happens if it is um yeah it really will yeah. uh because i i'm i'm with you there i don't think nationally people quite understand how big a deal it was and honestly i think that uh, Joe Mixon and OU football probably would have been better served had this video 
became public a long time uh, ago, you know, yeah. several months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That honestly, if it would have came out the day that he, he pleaded, uh, made the Alford plea and uh, pleaded out, I think, yes, it would have blown up a little bit bigger than it was, but it would have quickly died down and people sort of would have moved on by this point. But uh, now when that video does come out, if it does, and I expect it will at some point, then uh, that's just going to you know throw another match on the fire. Wow. Uh, what are, uh, I didn't even realize when I asked you about that how close that is to maybe bubbling over. That's interesting. Uh, is there any other narratives that you're thinking of uh, as someone who's covered the team that you're uh, looking forward to seeing playing out? As you said, there's going to be some little bit uh, extra availability. Maybe it'll give you a chance to talk to some people about some things you've been thinking about. I'm just guessing. Uh, what are some things you're really looking forward to uh to writing about, to seeing play out as this process advances? Well, I, I think you, you touched on a lot of them. I think the, and the good thing is we've got pretty good access here at Oklahoma, so we get to talk to most everybody. didn't have quite the access to the uh, assistant coaches late in the season, the non-coordinator assistant coaches late in the season, as I would have liked. But uh, uh, a couple, just as far as that goes, Kerry Cooks, uh, their secondary coach, and the job he's done, remaking the secondary i mean they were bad against the past last year and their uh, rushing defense numbers were really good but they were really good because teams didn't have to run the ball much on them they could just go deep and go deep and go deep on them and have success this year the uh, secondary was brought together in one room uh, before they had been split between the corners and the safeties in separate meeting rooms i think that made a uh, a big difference for them their uh, last year, Zach Sanchez was by far and away their best defensive back, and now I'd probably say he's at least their probably third best defensive back back there because Jordan Thomas and uh, Stephen Parker have taken huge steps right. on the back end. Those those safeties and and their development have allowed the corners, uh, Zach Sanchez and Jordan Thomas, to take much more chances and bite on balls that they would have never been able to in the past. And then also the uh, the redemption of Mike Stoops. Uh, you know, Mike Stoops was one of those secondary coaches last year, had so much problems, and uh, he's a guy who was the architect of those great OU defenses in the early 2000s with, you know, Roy Williams and, and Teddy Lehman and Rocky Kalmus and those guys, and uh, hadn't quite found his footing uh, since he returned from uh, being the head coach at Arizona, but uh, he's certainly done that now, and they're uh, among the best offenses in the country. And then you touched on also the, the Baker Mayfield narrative. I don't think that's going away either uh, with uh, you know the, his rise from being a two-time walk-on to a guy that uh, many felt should have been a Heisman Trophy finalist. Yeah, there's not a great track record, inter- interestingly, for undersized quarterbacks out of the state of Texas. I think you can date it all the way back to Drew Brees and go forward. Um, and it's really interesting to me how consistently it seems like uh, this is a discussion for another time, but just it's interesting <laughs> to me how that just seems to happen over and over again with all the, you know, all the huge college football that's played not only in Texas, but also in uh, in Oklahoma. Um, we're talking to Ryan Aber and he is R-Y-A-B-E-R on Twitter at, of course, and he is the beat writer for the Oklahoma Sooners for the Oklahoma and news OK.com. Uh, a couple really quick things, and I'll let you go. We all we talked about the disaster season last year, and of course that ended against Clemson in their bowl game. 
And uh, if they're going to win a national championship this year for the first time since uh, 2000, they're going to have to get through Clemson first. Uh, what do you see matchup-wise uh, for Oklahoma? What do, you, what do you just think about when you when you saw the bracket come up and it's like, oh, it's Clemson. Uh, you know, they fell the spot. It's not Alabama. It's not Dallas. I think both of those things would have been nice for OU. Uh, instead, it's uh, Miami and um, and Clemson. What about this matchup for them, and and what they're going to need to do to to advance to the to the finals? Well, I I really think that whichever quarterback is more successful is the the team that's going to move on. I mean, clearly uh, Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield have been such big uh, parts of both their team's success this year that uh, whichever one is able to to cut down on mistakes and and have the better game is likely to come out with the win. But uh, certainly when you're talking about Baker Mayfield and OU's offense against Clemson's defense, it's got to start with Brent Venables, who is the longtime defensive coordinator here, had been under Bob Stoops uh, virtually his, well, I say virtually, for the entire time that he was at OU until about three years ago when Mike Stoops came back. They were going to be co-defensive coordinators, and then this opportunity at, at Clemson, uh, came up and and uh, Brent Venables decided to to make that jump and do something different and and take over or get back running a, a full defense himself and uh, that's a defense that's a whole lot different from the defense that OU faced a year ago last year they had you know Vic Beasley the great defensive end right. uh, he's gone as are most of their defensive starters from that team but they've really been able to reload. Shaq Lawson is, is pretty much just as good as Beasley was uh, coming off of the edge uh, on defensive end for them. They've been uh, so good on the back end of their defense. Really interested to see how they're able to contain Baker Mayfield in some of the things because these quarterbacks are a whole lot different. Deshaun Watson, it's a lot of design quarterback run game and things like that. There's not a whole lot of that with Baker Mayfield and his uh, rushing stats sort of bear that out, but if you watch him game in and game out, he's able to make plays with his feet pretty consistently that keep drives alive, keep plays alive, and uh, he's able to, to make the plays downfield with his arm uh, on pretty on a pre- pretty regular basis, and it makes him uh, pretty dangerous. So I'll be interested to see how much pressure uh, Brent Venables and Clemson can dial up on him and if they're able to have success because, uh, like I said, I expect – that either Deshaun Watson or uh, Baker Mayfield struggle, that their team's going to go out pretty quickly in this thing. You know, Ryan, one thing that, and we talked about it earlier, uh, that Stoops has struggled with is this, when you don't see this team for a long time and be waiting for this bowl game and they come back uh, after disasters happen. I mean, guys steal jackets. Uh, you know, the teams just don't play that well. Um, hopefully for Stoops in Oklahoma, it's a lot more like 2009, um, where, you know, you're in the fourth quarter really. And boy, they had, they were lucky to get Percy Harvin back for that game, Florida and Oklahoma didn't get DeMarco Murray back. And maybe it's a different game if DeMarco Murray is there. Cause you felt like going to that fourth quarter, it's like, who's going to make plays. And it was Percy Harvin who made the plays, but. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm I'm wondering about this, um, about bubbling under the surface with this mixing thing. But um, Ryan has basketball practice. We'll talk to him more another time. We've got a, other things on our agendas we want to talk about. We're not going to get to them today. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter. He's R-Y-A-B-E-R there. Uh, and, of course, the Oklahoman, uh, if you are 
interested in that or at uh, or www.newsok.com. And the links are in his profile on Twitter as well. Anything else you want to mention, Ryan, before we let you go? No, that uh, that sounds like it covers it. Uh, really enjoyed uh, talking to you about the Orange Bowl and a little bit of OU basketball. And hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Yeah, we have to do it more because we didn't get to talk about Pearl Jam at all. Um, you got you, we can do that. Yeah, you, like hockey, <laughs> we have to talk. Maybe we'll talk. Find out what an Oklahoma guy knows about hockey, uh, and um, we'll talk more about the basketball team at some point because I want to know more about them as well. So we'll uh, we'll hook up after all this dies down. But uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the games. I uh, will do it for sure. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, I want to thank Ryan Aber for being on the show. Also want to thank Jimmy Trainer from Fox Sports. Don't forget you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts, including last week's with the great Lee Jenkins and Don Jameson, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find our podcast at Stitcher. And I want to thank Vanessa at Stitcher for sending a bunch of uh, alerts on the app we had Joe Buck on it was very kind I heard from many of you who got the alert that's cool you can also find our podcast on iTunes wherever you listen to podcasts you can email us thesportscasters at gmail.com we have one episode left in season 5 we're going to do 41 episodes which is the most in any season other than season 1 uh, you can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don uh, at Don Lake Sports. And Adam, where can they find you? Give all your plugs. Give everything you want people to know right now. It's, it's the plug uh, section. Lazarus, Lazarus A57 is me at Twitter. Um, my website alazarus.com. And then I would say go to Amazon and you can probably type my name. And you'll see all my books. All right. Um, one last thing. Go ahead. Uh, I guess I, you know, you, you mentioned to me something to just uh, talk about. I'm just going to complain, and I don't like being an old man, even though I'm not that old. But uh, you like an old man? I think I've come on. I think I did this once before, and I complained about something that I, you know, made me sound like a crappy old man. But I never do it again. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of like. Uh, the high school recruits who have gone to college and they have these big parties and these big reveals and Twitter pages and it's on the internet and it's on local news and it's on national ESPN stuff, uh, like making these big deals, these big, you know, elaborate reveals of where they're going to college or where they're going to sign the letter of intent. I, I think that's just, it, it's just, it's just these guys on a bad precedent to being, you know, like prima donnas and, and all about me and, being those huge ego guys that we all complain about when we, they get to the NFL. I think it's a lot of that is, you know, started, they get set on that path and they're being courted by high, by college coaches to begin with. But then they have these, you know, people fawning all over them and uh, making them cele- such a big celebrity. It just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. Is that making an old man? Do you see any of that? Does, does that bother you at all? Well, I will play devil's advocate a little bit because I have lived this. Uh, of course, not for me. My athletic achievements were 
uh, limited to high school success. But I don't know what it's like in big-time college football or big-time college basketball, but I do know what it's like in big-time college hockey. And that is a thing. I think that hockey is probably the third biggest college sport. I guess baseball, maybe we could make an argument. Um, and I'm considering college women's college basketball the same as men's. Um, it's an incredibly stressful thing. Um, I bet if you asked my brother if he was here, what the least the thing he enjoyed the least about his career in hockey, he wouldn't even say breaking his leg his senior year at Yale. He would probably say picking a college. Um, the intensity of the and the relentlessness of some of the recruits, and I would say my brother is about a was about what you would consider a three and a half to four star football recruit. It's probably where he would fall to make a comparison. And the intensity of the recruitment was, I wasn't prepared for it. I mean, one of his schools, RPI had a coach that decided the best way to recruit him was to recruit through his grandfather and his father, which made it incredibly stressful for him because of course he sold two guys who never went to college, uh, never could have dreamed of being in the position he was in on seemingly an offer you could never refuse. Uh, And having to tell his grandfather and his dad that he was going to refuse, it was really tough on him because they couldn't believe it. It just didn't make sense to them. And then Michigan State, uh, they recruited him through NHL players in the Buffalo area. There was two Sabres at the time who had played college hockey at Michigan State, Ryan Miller and uh, Tim Kennedy. And Tim Kennedy was from Buffalo on top of it. And they both called my brother and told him, there's no way you cannot go to Michigan State. And, uh, you know, BC was his dream school, and he didn't want to decide anything until he got a visit at BC. And he went on his official visit at BC, and he stayed with uh, Chris Kreider, who was an NHL player, was the one who hosted him. Uh, And they only offered him three years, and that was a heartbreak, I think, for him because I think everything had went so well. And, I mean, the BC coach had flown on a Sunday from Boston to Green Bay uh, to watch him play a USHL game. And that was before the visit, which went well. Um, And when they offered him three years, I think he just, he was like, I don't care how much I always wanted to go here. I I don't think they really want, I don't think they want me to accept three years. All my other offers are full. Um, And then, you know, that got him back to Yale, which of course was kind of the one he knew all along needed to be the choice. They were the first school in, you know, and look, I'm babbling again. Uh, And people have sort of heard some of this before and people hate when I talk about the Saints and my brother. Um, But yeah, I think it's a really stressful, stressful time. And when you make that decision, it's a huge, huge exhale. Um. And for Anthony, he made the decision, committed, and then you got to wait and see if they'll let you go there. You know, if Yale's going to agree. You know, so he had to wait a few m- months to make sure he was accepted to Yale, which luckily he was. But yeah, I don't know. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I think these kids aren't being divas. Some of them probably are, as much as they're just celebrating the end of what is a really relentless process. 
Well, I don't blame the kids so much, and I don't think it's necessarily them being divas. I think it's the people around them who are encouraging, you know, this is your moment and you got to make a name for yourself uh, or whatever. Like, all these people who are getting in their ear, you know, they're not agents, but, you know, they're like pre-agents. Right, advisors, family advisors, uh, they call them. That's what bothers me. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's at that age, when you're 16 or 18 or 17, you should, you're not going to be savvy enough to know when you're overdoing it. There should be people around you telling you if you're, you're a coach or your parents or whoever should probably be a little more protective of you and not fall into that category. That's just the way, I mean, it's not everybody is, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's, um, I mean, you just, you don't wonder why, uh, so many guys end up being the first guy. I think it starts then. It probably starts earlier, too. Yeah, my guess is it's probably a very fine line between what I'm talking about and what you are. You know what I mean? I think probably there's a really, 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 really thin line of where it's a natural, fair reaction to taking it too far. Um, and and the I'm, media doesn't help either. And the media doesn't help, no, especially when you're talking about big time college football. Yeah. Yeah. They have like national signing days, like a whole day, and right. they send camera crews out there. You're not going to like ignore them if there's a camera crew. So. Right, and the high schools uh, want a moment too, so they don't help. Yeah, they want to yeah. do it in their they're gym. Right. You know, they want to get the circus with the hats and all that. Yeah, you know, coaches want their, their picture in the, in the paper and everything too. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's not the, it's not the entire problem, but it's, I think it's, it's it's a little bit of a contributor to. You know, a lot of the ills we see in, in sports these days. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like for like a, I don't know, Joe Mixon, who we talked about earlier on the show, who was the number one all-purpose back, five-star recruit his year. Or uh, who's someone who was a national number one? Carson Palmer was, I remember. Um, who else? Who are some other national number one recruits? I don't know why I, I can't know. think. Um. I know one that OU got, who was the number one national, was the quarterback who got in trouble and had to leave school because of uh, the car dealership. I can't think of his name. Uh, At OU? Yeah. He, oh, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was like six or seven years ago. Yeah. Oh, he was the number, national number one recruit. I can't think of his name. I'm going to think of it the second we end. Uh, he played one year there and then got in trouble. And, um, yeah, I remember talking to Malcolm Kelly about this when Malcolm Kelly was on, uh, talking about how, um, he had three different quarterbacks and this guy was one. And I can think of the other two right away, Paul Thompson and Sam Bradford. Why can't I think of the third guy's name? Red Bomar. Red Bomar. That was his name. Yeah. Yeah, he, I could can't imagine what it's like being the number one recruit in the nation in football. It's got to be nuts. Yeah. Yeah. All right, one last thing for the show today. Uh, SI named their sports person of the year this week. And I say sports person because they actually changed it from sportsman of the year to sports person of the year this year. I'm rolling my eyes, but I'll save my thoughts on that for another time. Uh, do you know who they picked, Adam? Did you hear? The news? Uh, Serena. Yeah, Serena Williams was named uh, the Sports Person of the Year, and it angered a lot of horse racing fans uh, who thought surely 
the Triple Crown winner should have been named uh, the the winner. And it also made for a lot of funny jokes on Twitter uh, from people arguing with the horse people. And uh, Richard Deitch actually had a periscope last night from, like, a, I guess an event they had for Serena. And uh, people were making the funniest comments on there about how weird the event would have been if it was the horse had won. And Phil Sims was interviewing the horse. Phil Sims was oh, like, yeah, that would have been amazing. Uh, but look at Serena's a fine candidate. She certainly probably would have been the hands-down winner if she would have won the U.S. Open. I'm sure there almost would have been no debate. Uh, but we did talk with um, a few tennis guys since the summer about whether she had the best year in tennis. And the consensus was that she didn't have the best year in tennis. Um, that Djokovic was the best tennis player. And this is an award uh, that SI gives out that isn't just about on the court. Uh, I think it's a little bit about transcending sports. And I'm sure that I haven't read uh, Mr. Price's column yet. Uh, I talked to him about being on this show. Uh, we're going to try to talk on Monday. And we couldn't work it out time-wise. And he'll be on after the new year. Uh, early in season six, and we'll talk to him about his article, and, and we'll get find out more about why SI picked them, uh, picked Serena. I think part of it is they like the idea of picking a African American female, uh, specifically a female. That part of it, especially on the year they switched to sports person. Um, certainly, Carly Lloyd could have won. Uh, you could have picked the whole uh, women's soccer team, maybe. Uh, you could have picked Steph Curry. Um, but they went with Serena, and I guess I don't have a big problem with it, really. Uh, probably not who I would have picked. I probably would have been a sucker who would have picked the horse. I don't know. That just seems so... I, I think it was the right... I think they made the right pick. You, um, you like the you like the Serena call? I, I like... The, I mean, I think it was more than anything. What is she? Is she about 32, 33? How old is she? Because I think that was the real... What they were what they were, you know, getting at, that she was the best player in the world at her sport, and she was 33, 34, whatever it is. Which is really old for tennis, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like, I mean, that'd be like if, uh, if Peyton, you know, look at Peyton in the NFL. It'd be like if Peyton was playing his best football right now. It, it, that's, that's dog years in, in, in uh, tennis. She's 33. Right, she's, she's 34 years so, old, yeah. I think that was more than anything, and, and I watch. I mean, she definitely brought in. I'm not a big tennis person, but I watched her against uh, being against Venus, and then in the, in the finals. I mean, I was watching every set of that. I think that was probably one of the reasons why they chose her was because they it attracted so many non diehards to the to the U.S. Open. Right. It was the uh, semifinal. She lost. General. Yeah, she lost in the semis. In the semifinal. Yeah, yeah, to the Italian girl. Um, but, yeah, I was. I mean, I was transfixed by that, and I think that's one of the reasons. And you know, in a way, I think it was maybe also like a lifetime achievement award because you know she's done everything she's done in the last fifteen years. So I don't really have a problem with it. There wasn't anybody else. Who, yeah, Steph Curry could have got it. I guess um, there's some other people. Brady could have gotten it. You, know, you wouldn't have voted it. for the horse, though. No, uh, no. I mean, 
I remember when, uh, do you remember when sports, when ESPN did the Sports Century thing? Right, and the horses had uh, a Gratzky secretary. Yeah, they had secretary yeah. was like 47 or something. No, he was like I four or five. He was ahead of Gretzky. Oh, I don't think that. I, I remember him. I don't remember what number he was. I'll look it up. But, Go ahead. Uh, make your point. But uh, it was, I remember a lot of people were upset about that, and I think rightfully so. Like, if you're going to, you have this finite great honor, 50, 50 greatest athletes of all time, you're going to give one to a non-human who is, has no idea they're really competing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people would say they know, but uh, it's not the same thing. They don't have the same... Uh, fears and nerves and everything that a human has, you can't you can't give an award like that to a horse. That's just that's just me. You can you can say that Secretary of the American Pharaoh is a tremendous tremendous athlete. That's great, and they were a great story and amazing story. You can't give the such a prestigious singular honor to a horse. <laughs> that's that's fair, I guess. You remembered it better than I did. Uh, they honored a hundred athletes. Uh, five, six, no, um, five from horse racing. I don't know if they were all horses. Could have been a jockey. Gretzky was five. Jim Brown was four. Ali was three. Babe Ruth was two. And Michael Jordan was one. Um, and where is secretary at 35? 35, yeah. The highest horse. I remember, I remember that. There was a lot. I think I remember listening to Jim Rome talk about that when it happened. Um, that is higher than Mickey Mantle. Uh, Lawrence yeah. Taylor, um, O.J. Simpson, Mario yeah, Lemieux, yeah. Pete Rose. So the horse did beat quite a quite a bunch of pretty legit athletes there. Yeah, maybe that's that is silly. You're, you're really you're talking about apples to oranges, right? I mean, that's that's why. And Serena, that's of course, I, has the pressure of knowing she's in a race, right? I mean, the horse doesn't know it's in a race. I don't think. Well, they say, I mean, I think that's what I think that a horse racing expert would tell you is they, that's what makes a great horse a great horse is they know when the funny's on the line or whatever. All right. They say so. That's, no, I'm just saying that's, that's <laughs> right. probably yeah. hard. Yeah, they say it's so. Not like, it's not like they have the same kind of rational thought and, oh my God, am I going to blow this point? Am I going to blow this lead? Am I going to, whatever, you know, they're not thinking it the same way that a human is. And that's, that's you know, that's 90% of the, Ninety percent is hitting is half mental, like Debbie Barrett said. I mean, that's half of sports, at least, right there is nerves and right. you know being clutch and everything. And if a horse, I can't believe they're talking about this. <laughs> if a horse doesn't have, you know, a horse doesn't have that, and Serena does, or whoever does, Mickey Mantle does, I think that's got to be a deciding factor. <laughs> Flower was where 
But you burn not those for your sins Oh, when I was a kid, oh, how magic it is.